0: go no Hey, everybody,
1: welcome to Growing With Fishes podcast, episode 267. Um, this week, we have uh, Green Go- Green's Goddess with us uh, uh, as our guest. Thanks a lot for joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It really means a lot to be here. I'm just so thankful that you guys invited me on the show.
1: <laughs> Super excited <laughs> to have you. Um, we also have uh, Fumidor. Cheers.
3: Thanks for having me. Uh, always a pleasure to be here.
1: Hi folks. And, Cheers, Green's uh, Goddess. All- we also have Marty, if he's there.
2: Hey, Marty!
0: I think
1: he might have stepped away for a second, but we also have Marty from AP Meds. So, um, yeah, thanks for for joining us today. Um, <clears throat> so uh, uh, today we have a, a super cool um, show for you guys. Uh, also, check out Joda Herb's show. I was just over on uh, FCP Two with Joda Herb talking about seaweed and kelp. So definitely check that out as well. We were it was a fun talk a little bit earlier today. So. Um, and uh, yeah, Fumador also is a great show. Fumidor why to tell everybody how uh, to find your show as well before we get
3: started. Uh, over on my channel, uh, Fumidor and the Flavors, I can honestly uh, just put a, a link in the chat here. But uh, yeah, we have a lot of great chats. Uh, we had a, a really fun talk yesterday with uh, Clackamas Coot was on there. You were on there. A bunch of people were on there. Honestly, we were uh, goofing off about all kinds of stuff. Actually, yesterday was Weed and Whiskey Wednesday, so we, we got a little bit crunked and uh, the conversation got a little bit wild. But yeah, we, we have uh, a great chats over there uh Tuesdays Wednesdays Saturdays more in the flavors on YouTube thanks for the shout out appreciate it
1: yeah um and you can find this show live on Thursdays uh Thursday evenings uh, on your favorite podcast or on YouTube and then also on your favorite podcast app usually later that night or the next day uh, depending on when i uh when it finally clears cuz sometimes YouTube takes longer than others to to prepare so well, thanks a lot for joining us uh green goddess um you also are with uh, luna gardens as well at a It was a little, um, so uh, thanks a lot for joining us and tell us a little bit about um, your farm and and what you do. Uh, I know you're here to talk to us about terpenes and their health benefits as well and a couple of uh, other great topics tonight.
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, So I'm one of the co founders of lunagardens.co. It's our website. Basically, what we like to do is help share educational information about how cannabis medicine helps heal, it's our way of advocating. I know a lot of people are kind of starting to switch around and get into cannabis. CBD is always one way to get the conversation started and to get someone interested. But we want to let them know about the medicinal benefits of the whole entire plant and different ways that they could take it. It's something that they could educate themselves at home in their own discrete time. We also hand out um, like brochures, flyers. I got stickers that just kind of label the um, types of diseases that cannabis can help out with. Uh, I also do blogs, and today we're going to get into terpenes, which is going to be really fun because um, not a lot of people do shows exactly of of all the benefits of terpenes, and obviously we can't get into all of them because there's way too much, so I think we're going to hit on the majority of the ones that you can find in most cannabis strains. So I'm really excited to talk about that. Let's see what's going on with my garden. Um, How to outdoors growing but that's already came down. And um, so right now I'm turning a lot of that stuff into oil, which I'm really excited about because like cannabis infused oil is, is one of my favorite things to give out to patients. Oh, also we're caregivers. So we live in the state of Colorado and we're allowed to grow patients. Uh, We're allowed to grow plants for some of our patients. So uh, I make oils for a lot of them. Uh, I just finally got in a, a CBD oil, um, which I didn't know it was a CBD. I went and had it tested and it said mainly CBD. So I was really excited about that. We got a CBD oil. I usually stick with my one-to-one because out of all the research that I've done, I've noticed like a nice one-to-one oil with THC and CBD has a lot of great benefits for people. And, um, we also have some pretty, really potent THC oils as well. And I've made other stuff, like I make brownies and things like that. Um, Oh yeah. speaking of FCP, I, I have uploaded a few videos on there about how to make your own oil and butter and whatnot. And um, right now I'm doing indoors, so I'm kind of I've been doing living soil grown organics for a long time, and I did it in ten gallon pots. And after so many runs, like they were going great for a while, but they're kind of not anymore. They're kind of being a, a bit of a hassle to water all the time and take care of, and Move them around from one room to another room, uh, which is how I used to do it. But now I am putting more of my focus onto uh, living soil beds, and I've made three beds, so I got three of those beds going right now indoors, and um, they're doing really great. And uh, one thing that I like, I'm I'm also on Instagram at Greens Goddess. Um, one thing I really like is when I can take some pictures and, and say, well, there's something going on with these plants; they're not looking right, and and I don't know really what's in the soil. So I ask the community for help. And a lot of people, I, you know, I kind of pick the answer that everybody mostly agrees on, because chances are it might be that thing. Um, sometimes you just gotta solve your own problems and figure it out for yourself. But it's really, really nice to have a lot of um, friends in the organic growing community that could reach out and, and lend a few thoughts or ideas of what the problems could be. So um, that was one thing that I had noticed um, with one of my beds. Actually, can we get into um, pH really quick? Because um, one of the problems someone had mentioned, it might be a really high pH. And even though I'm doing a living soil bed and I got worms in there and I'm using compost teas and humics, when I had uh, decided to go ahead and measure the pH of my water coming out of the faucet and it's filtered through RO, it was really, 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 really high, like at a 9.8, 9.9. And that's city water. I live in the city of Denver. So would pH that extremely high be an issue in a living soil bed with worms, with compost teas, humic acids, whatnot? What do you guys think? How high is too high that you might want to lower that pH a bit?
1: I'd be really worried. Anything above 7 or 7.2? Seven, yeah, really- my thoughts.
3: No, I mean, I don't think, for example, like the coots mix and stuff, I think it could drift quite a bit. Like I've said this before that I don't think the pH specifically is super important, but the stability maybe is a little bit more.
2: So I totally do coots mix. That's what I use for my um, I build my own soil. with uh, Yeah, for sure. But I That's
1: ideally like want to keep it in the mid sixes, be it soil or aquaponics, you know, 6.4, 6.6 something like that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay so um yeah i've been doing that for um water then after a while it kind of like leveled back down a bit um talking to one of the friends had uh, worked at a water treatment facility and said of course this time of year when all the trees are falling and it goes into the sewers and the drains that it messes with the ph over the water treatment so they will purposefully maybe raise it a lot or add something to raise the ph because and debris and everything that had came down had maybe lowered it significantly or something I don't know. But he was basically describing the change of seasons, maybe a reason why water coming out at a pH of ten.
0: So that's just
1: something to keep Wait. in mind. What What was your source water coming out at ten? Because drinkable water for municipalities is legally supposed to be eight, no higher than eight point two.
2: denver water bro i don't
1: know (laughs) okay so okay so i'm
0: actually
1: so what happens is in the in the wintertime and the summertime they change reservoirs uh they they or you know especially if there's a drought they'll change where the water source comes from and they can you can have you know a full point or more change in a couple of hours Um, i used to see this when i used to work with um, uh, aquaponic facilities in colorado and Certainly, uh, certainly is an issue and why we always recommend people testing daily their um, tap water source and their aquaponic system, uh, at least once a day, uh, as part of their normal, you know, daily habits.
0: Good point.
2: Yeah, I heard you talking about that on your past shows how you used to live out here. How, how long have you lived out here for?
1: Uh, I moved to Colorado in 2010 or 2011 I forget which, and, um, and was out there until 2016. And then we bounced around California, and Jamaica, and Africa, and Canada, and everything else after that, so.
2: Nice. Right on. Yeah, I was out here at that time too then. I'm originally from California. I lived at a few states, landed in Colorado because I liked it the most. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So, any further ado, should we get to the terpenes? Sure. Sure. All right, so what I wanted to talk about for anyone paying attention um, when you're growing your own medicine or if you're growing medicine for someone else to um, considering which types of smells you typically go after might be the type of terpene that your body is really craving at the time. And if you're growing it for somebody else, you might wanna understand what kind of issues they are having so that you could find the exact strains That they'll need and you could use that to like make oils if you wanted to or um make anything else depending on what the customer preferred it's just a really great idea to not only go after the types of cannabinoids that they need but the terpenes too and 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 they all need to be combined together like a whole full plant extract terpenes and cannabinoids because they produce the entourage effect actually some terpenes are really good at um they infiltrate the blood-brain barrier. So they really help deliver the cannabinoids to the brain a lot faster. Those terpenes are um, betacarophyll. No, they're not. Sorry, my bad. Not that one. It's myrosine, linolule, and bisabolol. I really haven't heard that one. I've just been reading it a lot lately because about the um the blood-brain interaction. So if someone's taking in whatever it is, CBD or THC or any other kind of medicine, not even cannabis. It could be something else that you're taking. Um, things that are really high in myrosin, the line little, and I'm just gonna spell it for you guys. B-I-S-A-B-O-L-O-L. Bisabol, bisabol, bisabol. Right, that sounds right. So anyways, um, those help with the uptake of things like cannabinoids and other stuff into the um, CB2 receptors. And your CB2 receptors are located in the brain, tissues, your organs, all the cells throughout your body, the immune system, the gastrointestinal system, and the peripheral nervous system. So those are some things to keep in mind. The linalool and the bisabolool are not that popular like myrosine, people love myrosine and it's mainly found in what, uh, in indica plants. And people would believe that indica is the thing that makes it sedative. It's really the terpenes that's in it. And most indica strains that can be sedative would be really high in sedative like terpenes, like myrosine. So myrosine is found in hops and lemongrass and um, mangoes. So a lot of times for some people, you could eat a mango right before consuming cannabis, or maybe even your other um, pharmaceutical drugs you might be taking and it'll help with the uptake. Uh, Myrosine is an antioxidant, a muscle relaxant, a potent pain reliever, and it enhances the effects of sedative drugs. This terpene is known for giving the couch lock effect. it's pretty, uh, some people feel like they might be getting really, really, really high off of myocene. Um, Just, it, it affects everybody differently. Um, it also gives you anxiety relief. And like I said earlier, it increases the effects of cannabinoids. Linolool, um, not as popular. Uh, that you could find more in things like lavender, um, but anytime you see it in a strain, and even I was trying to look up strains that have linalool, it's usually like a, a, the second most potent terpene or maybe the third most potent terpene in that strain. So linalool, huh?
1: The other thing with linalool is, um. Uh, linalol is really good if you're treating people with seizures that aren't responding Ash. to typical cannabis medicine. So if you're doing like a four to one CBD to THC ratio or two to one t- CBD to THC r- uh, ratio, which is very normal for, um, you know, it's a really typical um, uh, mix for people that have seizures, uh, adding uh, mm-hmm. 0.2% linalol to that total volume of cannabinoids can really amplify and kind of make it work a lot better. Uh, especially in patients that are kind of struggling and still not seeing the kind of results that they want um, with cannabis-based products?
2: Absolutely. Patients who are um, who have seizures might want to look for those types of strains. Or if you're growing for somebody who has seizures and you would like to make them that cannabis oil that they can take, um, like I had a patient and basically he was taking it twice a day. And any day he didn't take the oil, he definitely had a seizure that day and it was hard for him if he felt like a seizure was coming on and he realized he forgot his morning dose and then he takes it it was a bit too late almost in in that sense but I don't know if that works for everybody and and seeing as how taking the oil under the tongue it takes a bit longer for it to kick in versus if you were to just take a hit off of a dab or something like that that would kick immediately um so that one definitely helps out with it's like a neuroprotective too. It helps out with cancer. It's anti-anxiety. It's sedative. It relieves pain. Um, and it's antimicrobial. Um, so linoleum is like a really great turkey. And I wish that we could find more strains that have more of it in there. Actually, let me see if I could find some for anyone paying attention right now. Amnesia haze. So these have a little bit of it in them. Amnesia haze LA Confidential, Bubba Kush, and um, well, there's lavender, Um, but you can mainly find it in some of your your indica plants. Um, Let's see, up next, we have terpenoline. Terpenoline, I think, is found in um, the UK cheese because I have a strain and and it tasted a lot like cheese. So I looked it up to see what terpene that was that I was tasting. And UK cheese mainly has a lot of terpenoline, which I thought was neat. You could find that in allspice, tea tree and juniper. Um, terpenoline is antibacterial and anti-tumor. And it also is associated with cognitive clarity. And that one's going to be highly stimulating and uplifting um, and I've done a bunch of different research. One paper says terpenoline is highly stimulating and uplifting. And another research paper says terpenoline is relaxing and a sleep aid. So that could be a little bit confusing, but I think it all depends on the person and maybe when they're taking it or how they're taking it will affect how that terpene is affecting their body at the time. Um, Humulene. Found in hops, clove, and ginger. humulene has, uh, it prevents allergic reaction, asthma, and uh, allergic inflammation in the airways. And it shows a protective effect in some cells and may help guard against cancer. Um, it's also very relaxing and uh, it supports your bones. Um, let's see if I could find humeline Actually, I don't think I have it written in here. All right. I was trying to look up strains that also have, um, that are high, you know, like some of these terpenes, you could find strains that are really high in them, like myrosine, limonene, humulene, And, um, a lot of the, these strains are just kind of like their second or their third, like they're not as, as potent as a main upfront terpene. And I think people might be reading for that. So it would be really cool to get into strains that were higher in in other terpenes, like um, linolol, for example. Um, Moving on, osimine, it's found in sweet basil, allspice, uh, and it's antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal, antiseptic, and also a decongestion. It delivers a nice effect that's not too stimulating and not too sedating so one of those right in the middle which is pretty nice Pining uh, found in pine trees rosemary and basil uh, Pining was interesting because if um, you ever think about aromatherapy and you go hiking like in the woods did you ever go hiking when you were out here did you go hiking in Boulder or golden or anything cool like that <laughs> any 14 years?
1: Not, not only is uh, am I an experienced backcountry hiker. Um, I used Hi. to lead foraging classes and teach people how to pick mushrooms and make herbal medicine up there. So if you ever have a question, I can I can probably answer it.
2: I do. Where'd you go to look for the shrooms? Like, did you go off in the, um, the forests? Because I went into, shoot, which national forest did I go into recently?
1: Probably Roosevelt.
2: Probably. If it wasn't Roosevelt, it was the one right next... Not the Rocky Mountain
0: Indian National Park. Indian
2: Probably Roosevelt. So it was somewhere around Winter Park. You know that area?
0: Yep. Yeah, I'm from yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. So,
2: so like, it rains a lot out there. It doesn't rain that much out here in the city.
1: So the trick with out
2: there, it's mushrooms everywhere.
1: The trick with mushroom hunting is you have to look at, um, you can pull up the weather where it's rained in the last three days and the last five days, uh, yeah. and then you basically go there. Uh, and then you look at the temperature and then the way to cheat, the cheat code for mushroom hunting is you get a digital meat thermometer and you stick it in the ground two to three inches below the surface and you check the temperature because most of the edible mushrooms, especially in Colorado, are hypercued into specific temperatures. So um, uh, morels, for instance, in uh, black morels in Colorado, queue in between, the, you'll start to see them around 46 degrees fahrenheit they'll really start popping off at 47 and you really oh. don't see them anymore once the ground hits 50 so um you know yeah
2: totally cold up there too so yeah. and i went during the summertime, and it was it was very very chilly and raining i was surprised i tried going back actually oh uh, shoot when was it october when you want to go for that drive to see all the leaves changing colors it's beautiful give me a break i love it and uh, we were making our way back to Winter Park uh, in October, and it was just pouring snow to the point I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> we don't need to be out here. I don't want to be in the car in the hills, you know, with the snow and ice. I'm good. Let's just turn around and go back.
1: Uh, but, certainly um, uh... September October used to go that's when the osha root is much more concentrated in terms of the medicinal purposes so we used to pick that and then sliver it or cut it up and then dry it and it would make the whole house smell wonderful for like a month and runs all the bugs out of your house too because they hate the smell it's it's nice there's a whole bunch of stuff I miss about living there
2: well I mean I think living anywhere kind of has its goods and it's and it's bads about it um being out here, it's great because I could grow weed, but not a lot of people are like trying to buy it because <laughs> it's Colorado. They could buy it from anywhere. So to tell someone, yeah, I need you to go to a doctor and pay money and get your six plant count. And then I need you to go online and give me your six plant count. It's, it's a lot for someone who's like not really that interested if they could just go and buy it at any store. So like, if you're living somewhere else where I guess there weren't a shit ton of dispensaries, well, what's it like out in Oklahoma?
1: Oklahoma, there's a dispensary every mile when you go down the road. Yeah. (laughs) More dispensaries, okay, there's more cannabis. So Oklahoma has a total of about 9,000 cannabis licenses between processing uh, dispensaries and cultivation. Uh, And um, I think it's more than that now, it's 7,000 cultivation licenses I've f- over 3,000 processors, and I don't even remember how many dispos. It's like 4,000 or 5,000 dispos. I'm sure someone can find it on Twitter or something like that. Mm. Yeah, Fumi's got it, or AP Meds.
2: Marty uh, my
3: computer's still freaking out right at the moment. So,
2: otherwise. No
1: um, but uh, uh, that's
2: a lot. Do it, it have a small population? I mean, that's a lot of just. Well, there's more. For...
1: There's more cannabis licenses in Oklahoma than Oregon, Washington, and California combined.
2: And California.
1: Yep. Because I don't they have a shitload too. No, no, because they restricted it. So Oklahoma was a little too lax, but
2: yeah, they're very wild out there, huh? The Wild West.
1: <laughs> Go ahead, Marty. Sorry about that.
0: Oh no, that's fine. I was just saying, yeah, I mean, I think Californians wish they had a ton of licenses like they do in Oklahoma, but they're uh, much more, much more limited. Pretty hard to get one in California still. From what I understand, I mean, I'm in Southern Oregon and it's kind of the same boat. Now you have to buy one, but for a while, you know, they were, you know, they tried to give one to everybody for, um, up until maybe, what was it like three or four years ago? I think they finally got so far behind. They just gave up on giving any more out. And now you have to buy them from someone else if you want one. And then you just, it's kind of weird. Cause you just go through the same process anyway. So you still have to go and get everything you know, reinspected and like any change of ownership, you, you basically go through the entire certification process again. So it's kind of, I don't know, seems like a racket to me, but hey, what do I know?
2: It's super expensive out here to get a license to do like um, medical or recreational marijuana, just to get the license, let alone that you're, um, what do they call it, a lottery So you got to set up a place and you got to set up all these um, ideas and start your planning and say exactly what you want to do and how much it's going to cost you. And hopefully you could win that lottery. And maybe you don't win the lottery, but you already put a whole lot of money into this deposit trying to get this place. I mean, it sucks. As a caregiver that I know of at the moment, I'm allowed to grow up to 99 plants. So the way that I see it, as long as that stays that way and it doesn't change, then that's all that I really wanna do is just be a caregiver, find patients and grow their medicine. Working in the industry lately, like I was telling you guys earlier, um, it's very overwhelming. It's too much. It reminds me of like farming, like like out in the ocean or or like in the um, lakes, you've got your happy fish, but then you've got these small little swimming holes where they're farming fish. And those are not happy fish because they're too stuck together and too close and they get sick and they're sharing diseases and whatnot. Or like when you're farming, you got happy cows. Or when you go to a place like, well, I don't know what Oklahoma is like, but I've gone through Texas. And then you've got those places that are just packed full of cows pooping on each other, pissing each other off because they don't got their space and maybe they're hungry and they're eating shitty food like they're not fucking happy cows and then I'm looking at these plants like they're beautiful and it's gorgeous and I love my job don't get me wrong but I look at it like this is not what nature intended (laughs) we're inside in a building cemented windows you know what I'm talking about electricity up the ass and the roof is getting redone right now which causes so many problems on the plants but it's like I cannot wait till I get to just not have to do that anymore. And it's just me and my greenhouse. So I'm really looking forward to that. And and right now I'm just trying to save up some money for that.
0: So- yeah, I wish you could still do that in Oregon. Um, you know, like you you could, you used to be able to be a caregiver. You really, you still can, but we're limited to 48 plants um, oh. instead of 99. So that, you know, right there is kind of difficult and then on top of that enrollment in medical is down so much that yeah. you know, like it's almost you know pretty sure they're just trying to kill it at this point um and that, there I, only like maybe two medical dispensaries for the whole state or something like that maybe one now i don't know it's it's pretty rough out there for the medical market so i don't think it's going to stay that way very long but you can still get um i think eight patients at uh six plants each so 48 total is what you can do out here but uh but again kind of like you were saying for for actual production is pretty rough you know like there's just a huge flooded market right now people are pretty stressed
2: yeah absolutely and those plants are really like pushed pushed fast and they don't even use fish fertilizer there like I want to say something but they don't listen to nothing I say anyway I should be like, hey, have y'all tried
1: the fish fertilizer? <laughs> Colorado still have the 450 uh, count um, R&D licenses. They used to have testing and R&D licenses, uh, experimental licenses. I don't know if that still exists or not as a program.
2: Oh, I don't know.
1: I, I used to work with a group in um, Gilcrest, Colorado, and uh, we used to grow a bunch of different cultivars for kiddos. And, um,
2: yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, program that that was a license that we had up for it
2: what did the program pay for your license or did you guys or whoever was
1: no, doing it? A, no we still did it but it allowed us to grow we were growing at the beginning we had a, a hemp license as well so we had four acres of hemp and then a whole patch of weed and you know it was nice we were able to grow a, a huge scale right off the bat which gave me a lot of experience early on yeah we, the hemp
2: license is totally different With hemp, it's like, it's not that expensive. You could like get a hemp license and pick out like a corner. If you had like a field or some acres you were growing in and saying, this is hemp. I imagine it has to be far away from the city of Denver because anything near the city or or, um, the metro area of Denver, it has to be in a building, closed windows, locked doors, you know, no sunlight. I mean... Doesn't make
1: this sense. was a this was a THC license for 450. Oh, it was. Yeah.
2: Oh, that's cool.
1: Yeah. Again, I, I don't even know if they still have that program anymore, but they used to.
2: Yeah. That
1: sounds like something I might want to get into. This was like 2012 or 2013. This was quite a while ago. Also, uh not mention on, so much. We didn't mention this on my show last week, but I wanted to because I missed it by a day because Friday. Friday was 10 years uh, for my dreadlocks. So I thought that was kind of cool.
2: Woo-hoo! How long there. are they? Do they touch your butt?
1: Uh, they're past my butt, actually. They're Shoot. working I on my
0: dreadlocks,
2: Steve. <laughs> nope, <laughs> almost. What do you feed your dreadlocks to get them to grow so long? <laughs> <laughs> wash
1: them with <laughs> the lavender oil and tea tree oil. Keeps them from breaking, keeps keeps them from getting funky.
2: T yeah, probably. Um, because it's antibacterial
1: and whatnot. Um, one, I thing, know, I and wanna, one nice. thing I did want to one thing I did want to mention. Um, you know, she's talking about terpenes and all these other things. Um, it's why it's really important for you to understand the chemovar profile and the, the the high terpene values that are in the plants that you buy. And the flour that you buy or the products that you buy because they might not have that strain next week. But if you have a good understanding of the chemo of our profile that you're looking for, the different balance of the terpenes, or hey, I the high to me, high banana terps just gets me high as shit. There was a strain that was like 14 or 16 percent at Emerald Cup one year that I had, it was heavy in banana terps, and I was high as fuck off of just a joint, you know. And, and I could do dabs and stuff, and it doesn't hit me anywhere near as hard. Um, so. Um, you know, there's certain things that are really, really going to ring your bell uh, if they yes. have, if, if if they do. And finding those out and finding out what works good for you and your ailments uh, really is, um, you know, super important for making sure that you know you can go to any dispensary and find something that'll work for you, rather than just being like, oh man, I gotta have this strain or like I'm gonna die. Like, yeah. not Like that. You just, and, and this is one of the things that pisses me off about, you know, everyone overemphasizing hype strains versus understanding the chemo our profiles. You know, there might yep. be a strain that Fumidor has that has, you know, an even better profile than the stuff that you can get at your dispensary. And you don't even realize it because you're so stuck on a name. You're not looking at the, the results from those. Um, so it's definitely why it's important not to necessarily you know, chase the strain to death when you can, once you understand what that profile is like, you can find something that might even be better for you.
2: Mm-hmm. The combination of terpenes that are in there because one's always gonna be the most significant and then you have your terpene that's second in place, maybe another one that's third in place, maybe more da 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 da. da but there's such small teeny tiny significant amounts. That if you realize what your biggest problem is, and I always like to take people a step back and say, okay, what smell do you typically go after? And then they'll tell me the smell that they typically go after. It doesn't really matter, you know, maybe they like a top two or three strains, but they like to stick to these strains because they have this particular smell. Then I go back and show them like my terpene flower. I made a terpene flower. I go back and I go over it and I say, well, this is the smell that you enjoy smelling. And these are what it's good for. And then they're like, oh, no wonder why. Cause I totally have that problem. So no wonder why I like these strains. And I was just thinking um, earlier why girls like such fruity strains. It's because fruity strains are the ones that's going to make you feel good, happy, enjoying, relaxed, stress-free, no anxiety. And that might be an issue with most women. And, and it's an antidepressant, which is really important. Because a lot of times... Um, Your brain can kind of race sometimes a little too much and you take a little weed and you're like much more relaxed, more down to earth, more chill. And you're like, oh man, you know, things aren't that bad. You know, I'm maybe, maybe I complain a little bit too much. Maybe I worry a little bit too much. Maybe I, I think too much of the past and I need to get over it and forgive and move on smoking this specific type of herb is what makes you feel good. And like, um, Fumi, weren't you talking uh, on one of the other shows? I'm not sure if it was you. I listen in on my podcast, so I'm not sure who's talking. Were you talking that you liked um, particular strains because they were pain relievers?
3: Generally, I mean, I don't know if it was specifically me. Uh, uh, Ozzy probably talked about that, but I definitely have some back pain issues for sure. So uh, anytime I do have like an uplifting or whatever strain, it still has to be kind of an effective weed because otherwise, you know, I might have a bad back day or whatever else. You know what I mean? we're all getting older, right? So like we basically Absolutely. accumulate fucking problems. It's ridiculous, right? Like an old car or something. Uh, how do I put it? You you want the old car to be amazing, but it sometimes breaks down. So basically that's like the rest of us. I need some, some, uh, you know, some CBD and some other stuff basically in the weed. So yeah, it always has to have a little bit of oomph to it. That might've been me that was talking about it. Yeah. Straight up.
2: Yeah. I totally like ever since working um, lately, definitely been hurting a lot more because there's a lot of like reaching over and and things like that. I have to do a lot of reaching. And so, um, I mean, I try to keep my posture straight, but you know, when you wake up the next morning, like trying to get ready for work and your back still hurts or your feet still hurt, you're like, man, I'm, I don't want to say I'm getting old because I'm still young, whatever, but it's like, it fucking hurts, man. (laughs) My body hurts. I do like a, uh, like a bath with CBD bath bombs or even some oil CBD and THC oil and you mix it in your bath water, you just soak. That's really, 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 really good for your body. Um, where did I leave off you guys? Was I talking about osamine?
1: Osamine, I mean, no. Yep.
2: Yeah. Osamine is, uh, it's found in sweet basil, allspice. It's sweet and it's fruity. It's antibacterial, antiviral antifungal, antiseptic, and a decongestion. So this one would be really good, especially this time of year when a lot of people are getting sick and you want to take something in that's like gonna help keep away the viruses and the bacterias. Um, I got a few more. Uh, Pinene, it's found in pine trees, rosemary and basil. Oh, did I tell you guys about this one? Yeah, pining, like walking through the forest. That's where we left off because then we got into the forest talk. Dude, um, I would love it if you could send me a picture of those mushrooms because uh, yeah, I would definitely like to go for a walk and pick some mushrooms. I always wanted to like take a class like that because I like hiking. I usually go up in um, Boulder or Golden and we did go hiking up in the Roosevelt. That was really awesome and very beautiful and, and I enjoy it very much. And we ran to a couple that was picking some wild berries and said we could eat them, but they were gross. <laughs> I don't know. They're super bitter. They were disgusting.
1: Are they on the ground and huh? red? Yes. Yeah, so those are conicnic berries. They're very high in vitamin B. They're really good to know if you're hiking and get lost in the wintertime because the, they produce those in the fall and they'll get preserved under the snow. Uh, so Ooh. unless it's like frozen down, um, it's kind of a, an emergency food that you can almost always find up there if you're really stuck.
2: That's really interesting, that's cool. Man, you know a lot of cool stuff about hiking. I wish you would come back to Colorado and we could go do a class or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, even just being out in the forest and smelling pines, it's very aroma, aromatherapeutic. Um, it inhibits enzyme activity in the brain and aids in short-term memory for some people, especially those who are like maybe getting older, or maybe someone who had a traumatic brain injury or something like that, they would do really well having something with pinene. It's uplifting, it's antidepressant, it's antibiotic, anti-inflammatory and anti-tumor. And um, taken lightly, it could act as a bronchodilator. So using it for a bronchodilator, um, some people may not wanna take too hard of a hit. Another thing on a study that I was reading said um, people who might be inhaling pinene might take an even big, bigger hit because it's a bronchodilator. If you're
1: something. looking for uh, uh, the pinene strains, the highest pinene yeah. I've ever had was um, off of stuff from Zimbabwe. In fact, I have some seeds Ooh. from it. Um, the, you do. The stuff that comes from Mozambique and Zimbabwe, and, and you know, uh, northern, well, I guess it would be extreme Eastern and Northeastern South Africa is really, really high in pinene. um, Just- Nice. It seems like the pinene heavy strains always have a longer flowering time. I don't know if that's the the genetics or if it has something to do with how their production, but I've never had them be the really fast finishers. Um, I'm sure they exist, but it generally is, is a rarer trait in the fast finishers.
2: But they grow like a sativa, like they grow really tall. Yep, yep. Yeah. Interesting because, um, even on like, um, the list of benefits says it's uplifting. So it makes a lot of sense to me that, um, um, sativa strains have certain terpenes in them. So some of those sativa strains, they take, um, like up until when, until the rate, like, are you talking outdoors or indoors when you grew it?
1: This was all out i mean everything in africa basically just about it oh,
2: right i'm sure <laughs> they're not anything like us we need like, our cement buildings
1: <laughs> the whole year and a half i was in jamaica bouncing around grows i saw indoor grows twice and both times they were nurseries
2: <laughs> oh man so then when does it harvest if it's outdoors that's not until like september
1: no, so it works differently when you're at the equatorial when you're we're in equatorial strains, it's always 12, 12 or something close oh. to it's 12 and a half mm-hmm. to eleven and a half and a half hours. You know, it doesn't vary that much. Uh, if it does vary. So um that's that's where you really have a different expression. You can plant stuff from seed and it'll almost always be four or five feet tall at harvest. I I, I got video, you can check out my YouTube channel, I have videos of me walking around fields in Jamaica um that are that are that size so uh, but it's a different way to grow uh, and what's nice is you can have your moms in in a different light or have just a a, you know the power on in a greenhouse for two to four hours just to keep those plants in the vegetative state clone them out and just put those clones in the field and and let them finish off you know what i mean it's it's really nice you don't really have to light up them at all you just they, they naturally do it as soon as you put them outside so it makes certain things easier and certain things harder
2: There's a gentleman that I follow on Instagram and he goes by the name of Green Hills Farm 99, I think. Um, And he's growing in South Africa. So when it's my winter and I I can't be outside and I'm all sad about it, he's always out there showing off his garden. And he did these um, videos where he was showing what he's putting in the reservoir. The reservoir feed day, he's like, like got all these jars set up, like you know, and he does like K and F and organic stuff too. He's a really cool guy. It's just fun to watch when I'm like kind of in my hibernation over here. I get to watch him enjoying his, and when he's in his hibernation over there, like he can't be growing outside, then I'm showing off mine. He's like, oh yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> so it's always fun to go back and forth and see that. Aren't you moving to? Did I hear that you were moving back out there? to
1: South Africa? I was supposed to be there right now, but uh, I think it's gonna be after April before I get back there, probably May or June before I can get out there again, um, just because of the virus and then everything else going on. And then uh, once January through April, I'm committed to the Regen Conference and some other things that I'm doing around the country. So, um, you know, I wouldn't be until May that I go,
2: so. Oh, thanks for bringing that up because I'm actually gonna get tickets to the um, Regenerative Conference uh, the Regenerative Cannabis Cultivation Conference, right? And, um when they go to Oklahoma in April, right? That so last weekend of April, they're going to be in Oklahoma. Are you going to be out there then?
1: Yeah, yes.
2: Oh, cool. Well, then we'll get a chance to meet each other in
1: yeah, person. I, uh, I, uh, I'm a speaker at all the different conferences and uh, I was just trying to pull up the website here
2: yeah please get your tickets you guys i'm gonna be at the one in oklahoma (laughs) it's the closest one to where i am and that i know of they don't have the place set up yet but i'm sure they'll find something awesome soon and i'm just really looking forward to it i feel like it's going to be like a really magical experience it's going to be awesome to just be able to sit down and chat i meet a lot of people that i've seen like only through youtube the past year and a half. (laughs) <laughs> so i'm definitely going to be going to that i'm really looking forward to it hopefully you could point me in the direction of some good hotels or something like that nearby where everybody else will be hanging out at
1: which what which which one are you going to
2: the one in oklahoma
1: okay yeah i have. I don't we haven't booked that one up yet that i'm aware of unless josh has yeah. um i've been helping them with some of that stuff the uh there we go Um, If you're wondering wondering what the dates are, Humboldt's January 28th through 30th. If you're going to do that, um, usually we stay at the Benbow Inn um, if you're wanting to hang out with the speakers. Um, And then uh, Michigan, um, I don't know where we're staying there. Uh, And then in Maine, Maine was really fun last time and super cool to see the East Coast, uh, you know, doing some crazy stuff. Uh, Definitely some interesting genetics that are different than the West Coast for sure. And then uh, Oklahoma for the first time this year uh, next year rather, uh, will be a lot of fun. So, uh, super stoked about that.
2: Me too. I'm really excited about it. Totally looking forward to it.
1: And if you're going, make sure you stay for Sunday because Sunday is the seed swap. And, uh, okay, get- I
2: also wanted to ask about that. I do have a lot of seeds. So how, how does that work? How should I prepare for a seed swap?
1: It's kind of like take a penny, leave a penny. So I usually bring some type, I have golden tobacco and, um, uh, shaman's tobacco, so I usually bring one of that, one of those, uh, and then I also uh, will bring some different cannabis cult- cultivars. And then usually my buddy Mister Green Jeans Garden, he'll send me some stuff to give out to people as well.
2: So you make um, a bunch of tiny little packs, like five or ten seeds or something like that in each pack, and then when you meet somebody, you give them a pack, and they give you a pack.
1: That or usually what I'll do is I'll just bring big bags of seeds and ziplocs and a sharpie and you know (laughs) if only three people want one strain, I'll just split it between the three of them. I don't care. Like if I try to be fair so that everyone kind of gets the same amount or or whatever. Too many people want it, everyone gets four four seeds or six seeds instead of ten, you know, like
2: whatever. Is it like Halloween candy though? What if you give out too much at first because you think not that many trick-or-treaters are going to show up, but the next thing, you know, you run out of candy and there's a whole crowd coming your way and you're like, shit.
0: <laughs> well, usually
1: it's Anyways, I, I don't want to get into <laughs> right, it. Right, right. Everyone kind of gets into one area of the conference and breaks out what they have. It's, you know, you'll know right away.
2: Okay. Well, I'll be there with my seats for sure.
1: <laughs> but it, I, I certainly picked up some stuff to fill some gaps in my breeding breeding projects that I'd like to eventually get time to do uh, and some other stuff. So uh, certainly is a a great place to get access to a lot of stuff that you, or, Hey, you're, especially if you're really trying to find a specific cut uh, for breeding purposes, it's, it's going to be one of the best places to network and and find those. And, you know, just trade for stuff that you have, you not necessarily have to spend, you know, a ton of money on that, depending on what you're doing.
2: That's super cool. I'm, I'm not... I'm not like really into breeding, but just for fun. I tried it this one time and I did a, um, a, uh, what did I get? Um, Phoenix fire from, um, soul fire genetics. I had his plants in a room. They were all females. And then one male Rona, because I really, really, really liked Rona. It was a strain that I got from a friend. I don't even really know what's in it, but it definitely tastes like limonene and that's why I love it so much, (laughs) you know, as you can tell. and um, I, I didn't want to let it go, you know, it was the last plant, it was a male, I'm thinking, damn it, like, because me personally, I just, I don't like males in my garden, you know, that cause issues, and the next thing you know, the whole garden gets seeded, so I was extremely careful, I left the male in there, it seeded uh, the other plants, so Um, I got a a huge like jar full of seeds and they're all regular seeds so it's kind of hard to tell if they're male or female and I wouldn't say that they're super huge and I'm not going to say that I was breeding it on purpose because it's it's the best of the best and and I've been doing searches for, for so long that's why I say I'm not a breeder I just did it for fun but um yeah I got like hardly any flower buds off of that one it was mainly uh seeds and with what little flower product and terpenes I did collect I just ended up turning that into some oil so I guess it worked out but I'm really excited and I passed those seeds out some people are already growing uh, that next stream so it's pretty cool speaking of limonene um I'll just move on there next because um I don't know where the rona came from I believe one of its parents was a train wreck somewhere and I don't remember what my friend told me the rest of it was but definitely, definitely, definitely high in limonene, which is why I loved it so much. Limonene is found in citrus fruits like lemons. Ooh, there's another thing I wanted to get into with you. I wonder if you might know a lot about it. Um, Limonene is associated with euphoric effects and relieves stress. It is antidepressant, anti-inflammatory, anti-tumor, helps with the uptake of anti-migraine medicine. So if you're taking medicine, for migraines, having something like citrus fruits or having, you know, your weed that's high in limonene would be able to help out with that.
1: The, the downside um, of the limonene is limonene yeah. is also usually the thing that makes people paranoid. I know if I have super high uh, limonene strains, it's uncomfortable. You yeah. know,
2: absolutely, yeah, I'm
1: not chill.
2: <laughs> and um, I wonder, oftentimes. Like, okay, so talking about back to the industry and when you're buying things at the store, um, a lot of times they pull they they harvest plants on a date. So it doesn't necessarily always matter if the plant itself is ready or not. And I wonder yeah. if that has a major effect when people are taking that plant and the trichomes aren't fully developed just yet, that maybe they're expressing more of this uplifting effect on people. And um, yeah. Another person has suggested, if you take something like that and you know it's going to give you like a a heart beating out of your chest and racy thoughts, it might be best to go and utilize all that energy. Like in the morning, uh, I enjoy smoking it on my way to work and uh, my heart definitely gets racy. My thoughts definitely get racy. I'm freaking out about the time. Like, am I going to be late? freaking out about traffic. Like (laughs) if I was at home and I take it, And I utilize that energy, like cleaning the house or or doing some garden chores. I just put on my music, get my work done really fast and have a good time. But that's definitely not something I could be taking at night when I'm trying to go to bed. Um, It activates the adenosine receptors and it increases the effects of THC and CBD. Um, So when citrus fruits like lemon. So this one, I, I read a paper on was really good for like breast cancer. And there is this thing, and I forgot what it's called, but it describes food and the thing that it helps heal. So if you cut a citrus in half, um, and you look at it, it kind of looks like, um, the muscle tissue of a woman's breast. And there's other things like walnuts. If you cut a walnut in half, it looks like a brain. Walnut's very good for your brains. Or a carrot. If you cut a carrot in half, it looks like your eyes. And carrots are really good for your eyes. I forgot what that's called. Do you know what I'm talking about, Fumi? There's a thing. I forgot what it was called. I have something. I don't remember.
3: I can't remember the name of the word. I know what you're talking about, where li- uh, life mimics itself. I can't think where um Yeah, it's not anthropomorphic. Uh, I can't think of it. Somebody in the chat <laughs> might know what we're talking about. I'm kind of under the weather, so my brain's like half a beat behind, but I know what I you're know. talking about.
2: <laughs> I Go know, me too. Otherwise, I would be up with it. But right? it, it was some medical paper that I was reading because it was talking about um, the benefits of food, not just nutrition, but specifically things that each food has and how it can help certain parts of your body or your organs or your brain or even your skin. Um, so I thought that was really cool, especially when I had read that paper talking about limonene being great for specifically breast cancer. And, um, you know, obviously it's in citrus fruits, like lemons and stuff like that. So things like lemons and grapefruit um, are really great for breast cancer as well. So the last one I have for you guys, um, uh, I have beta found in black pepper, cloves, Um, It's an antidepressant and it functions as a cannabinoid and activates the CB2 receptors. So remember, CB2 receptors, they're in your brain, tissues, organs, cells, the immune system, the gastrointestinal system, and the peripheral nervous system. Um, Betacaraphalein is a strong anti-inflammatory. It also relieves pain and it enhances the immune system. So something like that, that would be really great to take in right now, especially since we have um, viruses everybody's worried about. And if you want to improve your own immune system, there's several different ways that you could do that naturally through food. Um, black pepper cloves—you could take either one of those, add it to like soups or salads or chili or your sandwich or whatever. Or you could look for some cannabis if you would like that's high in beta carotene. And it's also useful for uh, arthritis, and it treats chronic pain. So if anyone has chronic pain issues, or if you're making a skin cream, you could use it. So people, when they use it on their skin to get rid of pain, it would really help out a lot.
1: Also, um, smell different cannabis strains. If something smells funky and not moldy, uh, especially a different, try it. I it's. When I go to a dispensary, the first thing I do if they're like, you know, let me smell their weed, I look for something that smells really different, you know, something that smells earthy, something that smells strange, um, because I it's going to have a different effect on me than I've had before, right? It's going to hit me in a different way. Um, it, it's certainly what I always uh, seek out when I'm, you know, in a dispensary for the first time and don't know them.
2: It's always fun getting into some new stuff and trying new things and new flavors and just to see how it affects you, like saying, yeah, I like this and I know it works, but I've never tried that before. So I think that that's really awesome to get into that, especially the funky smells. Do you like cheese?
1: Oh, I love cheese (laughs) strains. A really, really good cheese strain that we back crossed with G13. That was really good, a really good solid producer. (laughs) And just a super funky smell that, like, I haven't really had before. Had the cheese, then also kind of had a bit of the gassiness from the G13 and the hash plant, you know, oh, and goodness. then that thicker earthiness from the hash plant as well. So it had that, like, just a really unique kind of profile to it.
2: Sounds like it tastes like um, those mushrooms you were talking about earlier. Some funky,
1: <laughs> earthy, smelly green shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Funny story about the mushrooms in Colorado. So uh, traditionally, they teach people in Colorado that ruchelas, the red ones, make people sick, right?
2: Oh, because um, that's what I saw everywhere. The, what is, are they called the toadstool ones?
1: Well, the ones that people call toadstools usually are the uh, Amanita muscarias, which are the, the polka dotted ones, which are like your reindeer ones. Um, okay, uh, yeah, that's what uh, I was thinking but, of. But... Um, But there was these traditionally ruchelis are taught that that you don't eat them, right? But I was hiking one day and it was a bit rainy that day. And uh, I run into these two old Russian or Bulgarian or Ukrainian or Eastern European ladies. uh, And I I stopped them and I was like, hey, like those are poison because I had a big basket of mushrooms. They had a big basket of mushrooms uh, and they just laughed at me and, and were like, no, you're just being silly. And they take a bite out of it and then taste it and spit it out. And then she walks over on the ground and she picks up a different one, a, 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 called the sickener. Um, that's a, a red one. It looks almost identical to the wine caps, the, the, the wine cap mushulis that you can pick up there. Uh, anyways, um, uh, so she had me taste both of them and, and just chew up a little bit of it and spit it out. And there's no mushroom in, in the United States that's going to harm you by chewing it out and sp- chewing it up and spitting it out as long as you don't swallow it. Um, uh, but just chewing it the poison one tastes peppery and the good one doesn't taste peppery so it's a way at least for Russulas, you can tell the good ones from the bad ones is taking a little bit of a bite from it and um, you know just tasting it
0: mm.
2: very interesting
1: yeah there's all different types of ways to identify plants and mushrooms and things it's always something that's super interesting to me
2: is there like a book out on that where I could just like maybe check out a website or go get a book that will describe all the different mushrooms I might see specifically in my area?
1: Yeah. So for Colorado, you have the Mycological Society, uh, mycoweb.org I think is their website. Um,
2: mycoweb.org?
1: Mycoweb.org. Uh, and they have a, a, forays and st- a guided forays and stuff with experts and, and uh, you can go out there and make sure that you have someone watching over your shoulder uh, and kind of teaching you the different areas. And what you'll notice is you're looking for the microclimates, the area where the water kind of lays under the ground uh, and divots and things like that, or where it's going to flow over a rock area into another soil patch. That's where you tend to have the bigger blooms. Um and that and just getting into areas away from where the everyone's hiking on a regular basis because if oh. it's high traffic, you know, people are going to pick it before you get there.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: Also, yeah, you have to get any along
2: the trail, it was offside of the trail.
1: So in Colorado, it's ten or twenty pounds per day that you can pick for personal use. Uh, anything above that, you do need a license, which is it's like five dollars or whatever. It's not oh. even much. You <laughs> just have to register with the Forest Service. Um, they're super chill about it. They don't. They're not really, you know, a pain in the butt about it. But as long as you have it in your wallet, they're cool. Uh, and then you can pick, you know, however many pounds you're going to pick for the year. You, you report that. Um, you know, if you decide to do that. Uh, oh yeah, Fumi is saying he thinks it's fifty pounds. Uh no so yeah it just depends on your local state you know again the likelihood of you getting in trouble for it unless you're you know really being a dickhead is pretty low it's mostly to prevent people you know once in a while I'd see people I know my buddy of mine sla- allegedly slashed the tires of a bus full of uh, uh some uh there's uh, some groups of of uh, Asian immigrants that go up there and just strip mine the place and and you know resell it and online and uh, you oh. know if you see them, uh, make sure that they stay there long enough for the ranger to get there.
2: <laughs> that's crazy.
1: Oh, yeah. But but they that, live that's in
2: that area it. and they go there often.
1: Yeah, well, the general rule of thumb is you want to leave about a third of what you find behind at least so that the spores drop so that it's there for next year. But yeah. what's cool is if you, if you do that or you find some old mushrooms and you sprinkle them around, you can kind of work an area of forest over a couple of years and really improve the production of it as long as you're smart about it. Now, it's also why you want to use a more open basket uh, than a closed basket because you're going to drop the spores as you're bopping along and walking and, and bouncing that basket along. You're basically just seeding spores everywhere. Um, so if you have a basket that allows some of them to fall out, that's even better than having one that's just like a plastic bag, you know.
2: Oh, so like they're similar like potatoes where you could just like kind of cut them up and leave a few behind and then they'll just kind of grow new ones.
1: The spores drop out of the gills uh, under the underside.
2: Oh, cool. of the you don't have to cut anything up. You just pluck them, throw them in your basket yep. as long as your basket does holes. Okay, cool. Yep. That's good to know. That's probably why they keep popping up along the trail side. You think the majority of them are there until enough people go through and gather them all. Then you'll see them off to the sides.
1: The uh, the best book that I've found on it is a book, and I don't even think it's in publication anymore. So you have to kind of hunt them down a little bit. It's a book called um, uh, Everything the Rain Promises and More. And it has a guy like on mushrooms playing a trumpet and a tuxedo on the cover. It's, it's a <laughs> good book.
2: Sounds like a hot date. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm going to have to look that there up.
1: There it is. I found that here. Uh, <laughs> here it is. Oh, let me get a better. There we go. You, mean,
2: you want to tell me what was um, the skunkiest, funkiest strain you've ever smoked in your entire life? Funky. The funkier, the better. All of the
0: more oh that's hilarious yeah. <laughs> I told you
2: Hip pocket got to some western mushrooms awesome
3: you know I had some good uh well that's not the funkiest I don't know like uh I had the GMO a couple of times that was a lot of people call that quite funky I guess that's not really that crazy but then I had the Donny uh Donny burger and what's the other burger the, <laughs> I can't even remember, uh, but actually, the uh, a friend of mine brought dog walker one time. One of the cuts, I want to say, popped it from seed on us. It's a local breeder bred it, and I want to say that this was from a pack of seeds. They they popped a few different dog walkers, and it was a delightfully uh, uh, stinky, gassy uh, plant. Actually, really, really strong. He made some rosin from it. One of the oh. only plants, like when I when I would hit the the, the dab i'd get the effect where like my eyes would close kind of involuntarily so that's when you know it's really freaking strong uh and that was pretty funky i remember Um, that's not my absolute favorite i've said that before it's not my absolute favorite freaking direction for weed or whatever but it's 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 how i put it like it's important i like it too like the gmo Mm -hmm. i really like that garlic and that kind of funkiness i actually kind of think it's like more chinese onions but anyway that that oniony whatever (laughs) that goodness you know um (laughs) yeah i'm not super into like feet you know Engine, if he's watching right i don't think he's watching it right now but he's super into like feet and whatever else. Feet smells, I don't know, man
0: that's funky <laughs> right
3: or have you heard halitosis i'm like no man. It, first thing in the morning i, I, I gotta brush it. my teeth i can't even stand my own halitosis like no thanks <laughs> Smoking that? i don't know people are weird you, you made a good point though earlier with um I mean, how do I put this? Uh, I don't want to be a reductionist and say, oh, okay, only women smoke fruity strains or something. But it's a Sydney. good point that people will have different requests, also both men and women, but also old people, young people, uh, yep. middle-aged people, athletic, not athletic. Everybody's going to have slightly different needs for, for cannabis in the future. Uh, but uh, I, I kind of don't imagine that there's going to be a huge market for Super stinky feet halitosis among the, the female cannabis community. You know what I mean? Like, it just strikes me as not likely. You know what I mean? Uh, no, but no, I guess that's
2: see not like, what she's into, man. <laughs>
3: I guess, man. I don't know. But you know what I mean? So, I think that just even based on that, there's a, there's a call for strawberries and lemons and, and watermelons and peaches. Most chicks kind of
2: that I meet are like that. Most of them. Right. But, um, they're always
1: over it, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in the show. I was at the Cowboy Cup this week, this past weekend. Oh yeah! And um, one of the people walked up with a strain, handed it to dude, and uh, he's like, "It's the vomit strain," and it straight what? smelled like vomit and like cheese. It was the weirdest terp profile. Although, <coughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mute that in time. Um, uh, the strangest terpene profile is to date, and I have a plant of it now, it is uh, this particular cut <laughs> of Oreo from a friend of mine. And um, it smells like DMT. The plant smells like DMT, like burnt plastic, um, like that you just oh set yeah, on that fire.
2: That is. Oh, I wonder.
1: And then when you press the rosin, it really smells like DMT. It smells like you just made a fresh batch, uh, allegedly. Um, smells like. <laughs> and then uh, uh, when you press it and, and smoke it, it tastes like chocolate. It is the, uh, the, the, the flavors don't match the smell. It's very bizarre.
2: Well, certain terpenes, you know, burn off at like certain temperatures. So that's very odd, you know, that it tastes or smells like super gross, but then when you go to smoke it, it's not so bad. Is that what you were saying?
1: Yeah, no, the, the flavor is very pleasant it's very, very good tasting. It's just, it smells like it wouldn't be very good tasting. I'll put it that way.
0: I was That's trying the, to uh, see
2: if I could find a thing that talked about DMT. If it has a terpene, which terpene is it? Like oh, it what is that smell?
1: No, no, it doesn't have any terpenes in it. It's other compounds. But um, but yeah, I, I don't I don't want to get into that particular compound too too much without YouTube already uh, uh, giving me enough shit. So. Um, <laughs> but,
2: some things we won't discuss. <laughs> yeah, we've awesome had. Uh, Steve? These are my two questions. Tell me. Uh, I'm
1: just going to say, oh, what's
2: fish just- fertilizer by Alaska? What do you think about that if you're not doing aquaponics and you don't have your own fish tank? What if you use just regular fish fertilizer or organic Neptune's harvest? fish and seaweed fertilizer. What are your thoughts on either one of these?
1: Well, the problem with both of those are- Okay. <laughs> well, particularly the, the Neptune is it uses liquid kelp extract, which can get you into trouble pretty quickly uh, in terms of um, heavy metals in particular. Arsenic is the the thing if you yes. dose with it too, too much. Um, but um, the, the issue with both of those products is they're byproducts from the saltwater fishing industry. Uh, so you can end we up. We were with, just
2: talking about too much fish in one tiny little area getting each other sick. Is that what?
1: Okay. Well, it's just not. It's just that the you can end up with nutrient, you know, heavy metal issues uh, that are you know not normal for for you know other fish inputs. If you can get freshwater fish, uh, they tend to have much fewer issues as far as um, potential heavy metal contamination with things like FFA. Uh, or other or fish emulsion things like that. Um, the saltwater ones really, while they do have a lot of micro minerals and, and trace elements and other things, um, you know, absolutely you're going to have a lot more heavy metals as well. So um, it can get you into trouble because they they use this um, you know not the best quality feed uh, for those, and they often just take ground up, basically take the, the meat scraps and and grind them up and, and make, put them back into the meal that is then put into a pelletizer and then that's dried and, and baked. Uh, to make those pellets, and then they they feed them back to the fish. So um, it's not a very good practice. That's gross. Yeah. Or it's stuff from wild caught stuff that you know is eating stuff that's you know the highest part of the food chain. So it's going to have higher chances of you know lead and mercury and arsenic just because mm-hmm. it's eating fish that consume kelp and other uh, macroalgae's and microalgae's or filter feeders that are you know bioaccumulating that over time.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: You don't have that issue with fresh water uh, because they don't have that type of life, you know, life cycle.
2: That's always been like um, a dream of mine to get this dope ass piece of property with a river running through it where I could like just grab that water and use it or go swimming in there if I wanted to. I mean, I'll, I've thought a lot about aquaponics and and um, it always seems like something you've got to take care of. But when you're out by the river, you don't really have to necessarily take care of the river other than, you know, keeping it fresh and going and um, keeping it clean and whatnot. You don't got to take care of those fish or you don't got to worry about having to sell those fish if you're too big or something.
1: Well, the problems you have with that is that if you somebody dumps something up the river or say a tanker tank crashes or a boat crashes or. I don't know, any number of bad things happen or sewer line breaks or something, then you're completely screwed. Um, you absolutely oh, okay. can take water from natural sources like that, but you have to remember is that you have no ability to concentrate the nutrients. The reason why aquaponics works is we can um, remineralize that waste uh, and then concentrate it into a high enough level that, that supports the plant life. Whereas in a river, it's diluted down because there's a lot more water than the nutrient concentration is going to be able to handle for the plant. So that's why you like most aquatic plants, their required nutrients are like, you know, a quarter or less of what a terrestrial plant is uh, in terms of sustaining um, growth, you know, potassium for most aquatic plants is they want it between 10 and 20 parts per million terrestrial plants want it, you know, 75 to 125, you know, they want it much higher. Um, So just as one example. um, So, Um, You know, this is the type of stuff where the the chemistry is a lot different, but freshwater plants, the way that you would use kelp, uh, if you can dry them up and grind them up, actually are really good because they have uh, a lot more um, enzymes and things that work much better with terrestrial uh, systems because it's freshwater and freshwater and they don't have that sodium component that's critical for a lot of those microbes to stay alive.
2: Interesting. So then... If I wasn't able to get a piece of property with a river running through it, the other idea was to have a living swimming pool. And I've asked this a lot in chat um, during that online aquaponics conference that you did a few weekends ago. That was really awesome. I personally wanna thank you so much for putting that together. You and Marty, he was on there too but it was just such That's a true. fun show to be a part of. I totally binged all weekend long. Like I didn't go anywhere or do anything but aquaponics. And I come back to work like fish poop, everybody.
1: <laughs> yeah. Jumi so, uh, was there too, helping us uh, run the whole show. So it's, it's shout out you, to you. Thank you,
2: Jumi. He was also in chat cracking me up. I remember that. <laughs> okay,
1: cheers. <laughs> My pleasure. But uh, yeah, thanks a lot. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it. I think it really helps people, you know, realize how, you know, it's not just a couple of random people tinkering with this. There's there's a lot of people doing real science behind this and it's becoming bigger every single year. Uh, I think next year we're going to have, you know, uh, probably three days worth of speakers uh, and have a couple of longer talks as well thrown in there because... Uh, we have some really interesting presentations of people working on research right now that'll be ready for next year Uh, and just how it's it's all around the world people are working on this problem yeah that's cool only that but we're learning so much more about aquaponics now because they have the funding to do research on why things are doing what they're doing to plants whereas the lettuce guys didn't have that kind of extra funding um because that's just not there's not enough margins on lettuce to have that kind of uh, extra budget for r d right so um, you know, it's allowing a lot more science for aquaponics as a, as a you know, uh, uh, an agricultural production method in general um, uh, to have a, a much better chance of uh, uh, getting a lot of the research that really needs to be done so it can be taken more seriously uh, mm-hmm. as a production method.
2: I hope that happens too, because um, just hearing from a lot of the people that were doing um, cannabis production, seems like it's a bit tricky for them. Um, as far as what to do when there's too much fish, that's one thing that I've, I've noticed and I had a suggestion, but I don't know if it would work. If there's but, too many um, fish,
3: you eat them, right? Right. Yeah. You
2: go fishing or you have fish fry on Friday.
1: Right. That's
2: it. But, yeah. um,
3: fish
1: tacos, you name it. So when we, when we design all the systems that I do, we have the ability to turn the fish tanks off online or offline. So they're, they're always plumb Like we can break off the fish tank. So the, the main reason is, is that <laughs> I can run in an emergency. So say we have an ice storm and the power lines are down it's going to be two weeks until this thing is going to be fixed. Right. We can okay. limp along and just keep the fish house, uh, you know, fully powered and aerated and circulating and run carbon filters in an emergency road, and then just finish the plants off and, and, you know, just try to flower them out with whatever light that we have at, the, at that time of year in the greenhouses, and then you know do our best to keep them warm uh, with a couple of different methods. But you can kind of allow the greenhouses to get significantly colder because the plants can take a lot colder than the fish can um, with most of these facilities. So it's not ideal, but hey, it's okay if the water, as long as it stays above freezing and doesn't start blowing up plumbing lines Um, you know, it's not a huge deal. Um, So we always do that as far as giving us ourselves redundancy, especially in these larger commercial systems where they have a lot of money invested in in aquaculture systems and and a large amount of money invested in fish. They don't want to lose that either. Um, So, um, you know, that's the reason why we do that.
2: So, okay, then the other idea was having, like we were talking about earlier, I wanted this huge, huge fucking greenhouse. So what about the idea then of having a huge, huge, huge greenhouse and um, having an aquaponics pond right in the middle that you could go swimming in? I always wanted a pond to go swimming in in the middle of my greenhouse so I could just go swimming any time of year and water my plants and go back swimming again.
1: They do have living living swimming pools. uh, uh, I used to work on those back in Philadelphia, but um, it's definitely something that's, you know, not always the easiest thing to set up, and I've never tried to do it while also using it for aquaponics and producing enough nutrients for plant production. Because but I would why do you like, need too
2: many
1: fish? Or no, you wouldn't want that much sunlight hitting the open water surface. Like with the okay. fish tanks, they're always uh, like indoors or they're um, under uh, under rafts, or you know, some other type of way to block the sunlight. Yes,
2: yes. What if there is a wall? and the tank was like on the north side of that wall. So the tank itself was constantly in the shade, never getting direct sunlight.
1: You could probably make it work.
2: What if it was underground? Like not a tank, That's but fun. a whole
1: Yeah, no. The, the only issue is that the sunlight can't hit it. So you could just put a cover okay. over it, it be fine.
2: Oh, fun! And then um, would it keep the greenhouse cool during the summer? and maybe keep the greenhouse warm during the winter?
1: Yeah, so it works like a thermal battery. In fact, let me see I might have pictures of this.
2: Oh, I'm scheming, scheming up my future right now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a really good way if you're in a really cold climate. um,
2: Well, actually, you know, Colorado used to snow a lot and it's not really snowing any anymore. It's supposed to snow tonight, sort of, probably not really but it's not snowing at all anymore. It's not as cold as it used to be all the time. It's pretty crazy. Fumador, are you in Oregon? I am, yep. Is it snow where you're at or is it only rain?
3: Rarely. Uh, it used to snow maybe every two, three years, but now it's really inconsistent. It will have like ice storms in February, which is really unusual, but it hardly ever snows. It'll snow up in the mountains, you know, like mountain hood and stuff. There's like skiing. It's all white now, so it's probably going to be skiing soon, uh. Affected. so yeah probably skiing season's probably gonna open uh mount st helens has snow on and stuff like that but yeah like on the the regular ground and then when it does snow oh my god the whole city shuts down and like <laughs> any of the cities like it's just nuts like people will literally pull over on the freeway like on the in the left lane because like there's just so many crashes and they just don't know what they're doing and they're like, oh we just give up
2: you're driving too walk. fast slow the fuck down <laughs> no, it's,
3: it's crazy it's crazy and then some of the i was just telling a friend of mine the other day that uh, some of the worst crashes are with like the subarus the four-wheel drives because they're like like,
2: woo we could drive
3: four-wheel drive 80 yeah. miles an hour and they don't realize they they play around too much. these people
2: play like, yeah. they play yeah. too much it's like man you you guys really gotta be careful Ooh, look at that that's, that's really cool. cool um greenhouse is that a deck over a, a pond in the ground
1: yeah so this is actually
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's cool
1: <laughs> this is a bus frame that we chopped up And then used that steel bus frame uh, to basically frame out the platform and then used recycled deck material on top of that, that we got for free off of Craigslist. And then we got a bunch of redwood from someone's deck that we also got for free off of Craigslist, which was score of the century. So the whole greenhouse is built in redwood for free. It was pretty amazing. That's Um, regenerative
2: right there.
1: Yeah, so this was all mounted on um, the footers for uh, concrete, um, not concrete, uh, what do you call it, scaffolding, like for buildings. So we could raise and lower that platform about three feet. You'd have to raise it, it, you know, one corner at a time uh, and lift the platform or get someone, you know, somebody on each corner. But you could spin the things and raise the whole platform up so that um, you could raise the hatches on each of the walkways in the center between the grow beds there, which you see where the, the, uh, the tree is sitting right here. Um, these were all on, on hinges so they would go up or down so if we needed to access the plumbing or just access the fish directly below we could just you know work our way down you can see this hatch is open right now in the picture
2: that's really cool
1: but um this was uh, from a crashed school bus which is kind of crazy and uh, that we got that frame from the junkyard Is uh, what's that no uh well no, the uh anyways the guy i worked with his father had some kind of deal with the junkyard so we were Just getting materials to build the place out, but we actually built a whole geothermal system underneath this greenhouse as well. Um, In fact, I'll I'll pull that up here. Um, But we built a whole geothermal geothermal system system underneath. Warm. Yeah, helps a lot. If you're in any type of cold climate, um, it really does make a huge difference. Let me. I gotta find the slide for it. Hold on a second.
2: I was also thinking about making the greenhouse like the Wallapini. Digging a little bit into the ground or, or lifting the ground up on the walls just to also keep the greenhouse uh, warmer during the wintertime and cooler during the summertime?
0: Sure.
1: Well, let me hit this. There we go. So um, it, it's set up like this underground. So you have the high point uh, and the opposite hmm. end pulls the hottest air pulls it through the underground and then puts it back up and then we have sand immediately around them to to grab the heat and then gravel around that um, to to hold the heat better underground so that would heat the ground underneath the greenhouse and then allow for this warm air at nighttime Uh, it would you know pump out you know 58 to sixty degree air at night because it would be heated up. that's heat that sand up during the day, and then you just put a little fan up here that runs off a little solar panel, and it, you know this this will air condition your stuff in the summertime and heat it in the wintertime. It's a really really cheap, great system. Um, and then hold on, oh, Wait. this is us installing it. So this is the oh. when we put that in. And then we also put a glycol line in underground that didn't do anything. So we stopped using it, but we did test that idea. Um, you need to put, if you're gonna do glycol for heating the place under in the floor, it needs to be right in that top layer to heat the actual floor of the greenhouse, like right at the surface where you're gonna, you know, touch every day, not underground because heating it underground like that and trying to layer it in, it just didn't, didn't work well functionally. But yeah, I tried all different types of stuff. We built two of these for R&D to try and figure out what worked best. Um, yeah.
2: That one in the top left corner, where that person's standing, mm-hmm. um, was it that shallow when you put the greenhouse on top or you filled that up?
1: So this is the ground and the greenhouse is about uh, higher than he is tall, ultimately. okay. And the platform is on that, so. yeah
2: okay that's cool
1: uh, we had a deep hole here and that we had our pumps and stuff down there and it gave the fish a place to to run to if they got scared or whatever
0: yeah um, I would, we I just had like one that. giant
1: pond you know there was yeah. uh, we had nothing but misfits from craigslist there was tilapia and oscars and cat, uh, red-tailed catfish and you know so uh, any and misfits? Yeah, it was just whatever people, like, didn't have a place for, and the pet stores were like, nope, it's too big. We had a, you know, 4,000-gallon pond that we could just toss them into, and if something ate them, something ate them, and if they got along with the community, then they were fine. So, (laughs) it just kind of became this home of misfits and the place for fish, so they weren't just killed, you know.
2: Yeah, nobody else wanted them. Poor Craigslist misfits.
1: But we Which? had a gas heater. So we had a, a solar heater panels. In fact, I can show you those too. So we had solar heater panels that heated it.
2: Did you make them yourself, those solar panels?
1: We got them off of, a, again, oh. these were free off of Craigslist uh, from someone's roof. Uh, solar water heaters off that someone didn't want anymore. We plumbed it underground and insulated it and then through a junction box. And then there's coils here, you can see that go and heat the water so that this runs on a, thermo- a pump and a sensor. So once this heats up hotter than the water is, it'll turn on and circulate the glycol in the line. Uh, and then if it freezes, it has glycol in it so it won't burst the lines. Um, and it works extremely well, it's cheap. Again, this is something that you can run off of a little sol- 100 watt solar panel to run the whole system for the, you know all day. Uh, and, and then if it's super hot in, in the summertime uh, and the air gets colder at night, um, what you can do is run this at the same thing, but run it at nighttime in the summer. And what it'll do is it'll wick the heat off and release it through the panels and, and they'll act like radiators. So you can cool the water temperature at nighttime uh, in the summer and help, you know, draw some of the heat down. So the fish and the water cools down and you can you know pull a few degrees off every night. Uh, if you have a little bit of a heat wave, it can really help. Um, but yeah, and we also run these through the beds as well to maintain root temperatures and stuff like that. And we also have a backup line. So say this, uh, it's super cloudy for a couple days or um, you know, whatever, there's just no sun for, for too long. Um, we have a backup thing with a, a, a tankless water heater that's plumbed into the same line. So it'll run on that loop instead uh, and still keep the whole system alive. And that runs on propane and, and it runs really, it doesn't take very much. Oh, excuse me. And that we're, it's a really good way to do like off-grid climate control uh, for greenhouses. If you're trying to do off-grid uh, temperature control,
2: that's really cool.
1: Yeah, we did a lot of work trying to develop some of that stuff. We had a, a big um, a group of people that were preppers that we used to sell to uh, regularly at uh, the Aquaponic Source, and we did a lot of R and D around some of these ideas for people that wanted to have that type of. Um, product plus it, you know, overlaps with the cannabis industry. A lot of people want to have it for the same reasons, you know.
2: So, what about like the fishies that you wanted to choose? If you wanted to find some that are more friendly, like to swim with, which one would you choose? I do, Koi. I was thinking the same thing after hearing so many people talk about the different types of fish. Are they tasty to eat? Like if you have too much koi and you got to go fishing?
1: I mean, you can eat them. They're kind of bony and oily. They're not like the best fish you have to.
3: And Americans don't like carp. I don't know what it is. Like just carp in <laughs> general. And like, seriously, there's a bunch of European, like Japanese people, uh, uh, European, who's a Polish people like in, in uh, Christmas time, they have to actually have a carp for Christmas. There's a bunch of people in France. They'll have like a delicate carp butter dishes, whatever. Like they, they love the shit out of the carp. And here we're like, no, man, it's a trash fish. Well, know. no, what do, fine. Out it's of the bony, cart. yeah, but a lot of that's fish them. are bony, especially the like freshwater fish. A lot of them are oh. bony.
1: If you catch them, about- what you want to do is keep them in like a Rubbermaid or something for like three or four days with an airstone and let them flush out, and that'll really make them taste a lot better. Uh, oh, if you have mean. the luxury of doing that, or even set up like a Rubbermaid tote or IBC and throw them in there for a week or whatever, and just don't feed them, uh, or just give them some lettuce or something like, you know, light so that they're they're not, you know. It gets gets that mud flavor up and some of the stuff from the algae and stuff like that from the rivers and the lakes, depending on the quality of the water, where they come from. um, It definitely improves the flavor. And then the other thing you can do too with them, if you want to try and make them taste better, is uh, treat them kind of the way you would sharks or rays. So put them in like a super, uh, once you've cut them up, put the meat in like a super, super saline solution. Uh, and then rinse it off uh, uh, the same way you would treat like a shark or ray meat. Um, and that, you know you have to get rid of the urea um, uh, with the chlorides. Um, it definitely uh, helps a lot as well for getting rid of that kind of unpleasant flavor from the carp. Well,
0: that's
2: interesting. Right
1: on. I love cooking and I like fishing. So.
2: I love baking. Bow,
1: bow fishing for carp is a lot of fun in the springtime. My cousins and I used to do that uh, uh, as kids. Uh, we would I had bow fishing reels, and we'd go out in the canoe and shoot a big buffalo or a big carp, and it would tow us around for a couple minutes before we get it in. And you know, because there's only you are not only so big with the, me and the my cousin on there. So, oh, dang! I remember oh, I saw a huge one one time at Washington Washington's Crossing in the, in Fort Washington, Pennsylvania
2: in a lot of places huh
1: that's where i grew up is philly so
2: oh okay and then after that you moved to a few different states and then lived all over the world for some brief periods of time
0: yep
2: <laughs> which out of anywhere in the world is your favorite place to be
1: Huh. you know some of the um some of the different uh, areas of jamaica are really really beautiful but you know, there's definitely some cool places in the Caribbean that are uh, a little uh, off the beaten beaten path. Portland in Jamaica is beautiful, and uh, you never really hear much of the tourists going there. There's not really much violence or anything there. You don't have like multiple big disputed groups there. It's all really controlled by one group, so there's not much violence there. Um, so it's very kind of a peaceful place and a beautiful place in Jamaica that. Again, isn't full of uh, tourists that just got off the plane from you know Britain or uh, America or Florida or some shit, you know. And that's something I would recommend people. Uh, uh, people often hear bad things, especially the resorts will tell you bad things too if you go to a lot of these places that it's not safe or whatever.
2: Most of the time, that's
1: totally bullshit. So, so for instance, in Jamaica, if if any of these guys get caught doing anything untoward towards the tourists not only will their own gang members come down on them hard, but the police come down on them like lightning bolts from like heaven. Like they do not tolerate it because they don't want to scare off the money coming to the island. Not only that, but like the community there, like if someone, if you try to take, uh, if someone tries to steal from you or something and you point them out that they're a thief, the whole community there on the spot will, will basically lynch mob them. Like it, it's a different type of community. Like they protect, the the you know value of the tourism there and, and they're not going to fuck around or put up with that shit so the you know a lot of these places get a bad rap and they really aren't as dangerous as people you know claim that they are especially uh, the, the people want you to stay in the Walden resorts you know they don't want you to see what's going on out there and oftentimes there's amu- amazing beautiful places that are you know right outside the wall or not all that far away uh, and you can find uh, you know safe ways to get there so
2: that's awesome i really want to go out with my husband's suit and just go somewhere on vacation that's like not quite hawaii why it's beautiful but like there's got to be other places just similar to it that doesn't cost as much to go there and chill <laughs> that's so food. i'm really looking forward fun. checking out something somebody else had mentioned the bahamas
1: i'm really dying i've had a couple people uh I actually have two projects I need to eventually get out to at Mauritius, which is out past um, Madagascar, north of Madagascar and a little bit west, or east rather. Um, so I'm hoping to get out there near Réunion. I want to catch a flight over Réunion as well because, you know, the legendary uh, Zamal comes from there. So it'd be interesting oh. to try and uh, find some seeds while while I'm over there.
0: <laughs>
1: we'll see. Uh, we'll see what's up with this next Africa trip. But at some point next year. Uh, I will be over there. I was supposed to be there about two weeks ago, uh, and then everything got put on pause because of the virus. So I can't can't do anything about it right now. And uh, you know, that is what it is.
2: I would say divine timing happens when it's ready. Maybe even though things that, that I would like to go well for me right now is not working out so great, the timing's just not right. And I believe that. When I pray that the universe hears my wishes, you know, and, and my goals and my dreams and brings all that to fruition and divine timing, when the timing is right, it'll happen. So one thing I always think about is anytime uh, there's an opportunity, I just jump on it because uh, you never know where that opportunity could lead you. Right. So maybe a yeah. trip to Africa should be with divine timing so that everything that you want to work out great while you're out there is going to work out perfectly well for you. Yeah what's the difference between okay what's the difference between fish poop and faa if you don't have fish poop could you use faa in its place fish amino acid the knf kind where you're fermenting fish fresh fish
1: they're kind of complete well i guess in some ways well because they're both nitrogen sources right okay i guess in that way they're similar but everything else is different because it comes out basically like you're using hypermineralized compost tea, basically, except the compost is uh, manure from the fish, right? And then all the microbes that you're adding to that mix uh, from some of your KNF inputs and some of your other inputs that you might go to add to that from the, the soil food web. People uh, have their different recipes and whatever you find works great for you, as long as you're not using too much yucca or anything like that, or any yucca really, uh, or saponins, um, that's really what will get you into trouble. What um, about
2: thermex? Shoot, I don't know what thermex is. It's from Build a Soil.
1: Is it a wetting agent?
2: Yeah.
3: It's and basically I concentrated would... yucca. Oh. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so yeah. both thermex, no yucca. Well,
1: What's I don't happening? I don't want to say that because if it it could be aloe based, which would be okay because there are some wetting agents that are aloe based now if memory serves me right. Maybe, maybe I'm speaking on that, but I, th- I think
3: Thermex is like 71% yucca, though. I oh, okay, never mind.
1: Yucca. Yep, never mind. Yeah, no, definitely that's instant plant. So yucca extract—they used to take uh, the Native Americans in the, the West Coast used to take yucca roots, and they would squeeze them and press them and collect the juice and concentrate it, and then they would evaporate it down to make a concentrate and concentrate the saponins, and then they would have one guy go up the river about a mile and the rest of the village would wait in a shallower area all across the river and you know a row or two uh, and then they would put it into the river and it would kill off a whole section of the river while they were doing the salmon run uh, and they would collect all the salmon that would be poisoned from it and and harvest them all on that day and dry them all and, and, and all that stuff and then they would have their food for the winter and they would do it one time during the run so it's only for you know a small section of the small population of the whole thing. There wasn't that many villages doing it. Uh, but that's a traditional way that they used to, you know, collect salmon in a, in that part of the world. Actually, we're a few years. And down in Northern California. Okay.
0: So.
2: Uh, <laughs> I love- so fish poop can be brewed with compost tea and other ferments, just not saponins like yucca or especially no thermix.
1: Yeah, and then no wetting agents. So no
2: wetting agents.
1: Yeah, that's what's going to get you into trouble in in general.
2: Can labs be brewed with compost tea? Yep.
1: Well, I would I would you can't make it, but you could combine it, you know. Before application, for sure. If you put oh. labs into your tea and then brew it for a couple of, you know, a, a day or two, it's just going to dominate the shit out of the brew. So it, oh. it, you know, you could apply it right at application, but I wouldn't, uh, you know, do it other than that.
2: Okay, how often should you water with fish poop? Um.
1: You know, I it, I would water every other watering and veg and then I would water maybe the first two weeks in flower and then I wouldn't use it anymore. Really? Yeah, well, you can okay. use the water from the system, uh, but I would dilute it down. I would use it maybe at a 50% dilution or something like that because you don't want that nitrates and those higher nitrogens in flower. Um, you, you do want the minerals, but you don't want the nitrogen. That makes
2: a lot of sense, yeah.
1: You know, yep. you really want to cut back on the fish water or you know, just dilute it down with some you know other source of water, uh, late in the flower. Or um, this is the reason why we tend to run multiple fish tanks and veg, and then we'll cut it down to one fish tank and flower, and then maybe even you know just switch that fish tank off completely the last week or two, so that it just uses the nitrogen that's already in the system, uh, and then once oh. that's gone, it's it's gone, and it allows the plants to kind of finish up and, and taste good.
2: Oh, okay. So, like, if I wanted to start using, um, if I wanted to get into aquaponics where I am right now at the moment, uh, what should I start off with, like, a fish tank? Should I get a fish tank and put some fishies in there and then clean the tank out? Or
1: Um, how, how, like, a
2: home home person? Yeah, the
1: simplest way, if someone wants to do this at home, just when you do your freshwater water changes and you have all that dirty water, just water with that. It's filled with microbes. Uh, that are going to be beneficial to the soil and the plant it's going to help activate those secondary uh, metabolite pathways on the plant because it's microbes the plant's not used to but not necessarily ones that are going to be harmful to the plant in any way Um, so uh, it definitely can be a great way to you know further get more flavor out of your herbs or uh, better terpene expression out of your cannabis that's
2: awesome how do you make fish poop shelf stable
1: um, you can cut it fifty percent with sugar, but um, yeah, awesome. uh, you just want to dehydrate it usually, is if you want to, you know, kind of keep it around for use. Uh, a lot of people sell that stuff. In fact, there's multiple products: fish shit. There's um, dude, I
2: like fish shit. I got a sample of it and I used it, and I thought that it was great.
1: There's another one called fish manure um, you know, and fish manure, or fish manure, something like that. So there's a bunch of different products. In fact, the fish shit guys have been on the show uh in the past oh. so,
0: um
1: uh yeah they're they're cool guys um but uh, in fact i've hung out with them in fact where was i it was in oklahoma one of my first trips out to oklahoma i went and stopped at a place to get f- food and they were in line in front of me and we realized that they had been on my show and uh we ended up having lunch together it was kind of funny
2: that's cool that's why i love going to these conferences so much because it really gives you an opportunity to really connect with people even if you just got a quick moment to sit down and have some lunch you know that's awesome i'm really looking forward to it awesome fish shit and fish manure cool i think i might i think i might like to get um a fish tank then not a huge one does it have to be a huge one
0: no
2: Okay, Good. <laughs> I'll start now, small.
0: <laughs> you generally
1: want to have at least a forty or fifty gallon tank if you can get it, um, but you know just look on Craigslist and stuff like that, or on uh, Facebook, um, you know, marketplace. You can always find some used ones. Um, just check and make sure they're not chipped, and make sure that the silicone isn't you know in really rough shape. If it is in rough shape, you can always take a razor blade and cut it off. Uh, and reseal them uh, pretty easily even if you're inexperienced you can get a tube of it and it's not intimidating at all and you can get something for either free or you know a quarter of the price rather than buying something new uh, and then use that especially if you're not sure if you want to do it yet it can be a great way to cheaply get what you need or you know, there's tons of plastic tubs now even uh, just go to the, get some of the tough totes and stuff you can get at, a, at any box store these days um those work just fine uh, if you're just trying to, you know, do it on a real basic level or even in a more urban setting and you don't want to waltz in with a giant glass fish tank, uh, uh, you know, that can reach just as good and a little less suspicious uh, if you have to uh, be a little more stealthy about what you're doing.
2: <laughs> I got some of those um, tubs recently. I have this this crazy idea about um, about having worm bins. I got um, one red tub and one green tub, and, and I poked several holes in them. And right now I still have two 10 gallon pots growing with some cover crops. And you know they already got all the um, the bugs and the worms and everything already in there. Um, I was gonna use one pot in each tub and the green would, would be for like vegging plants. So when I go to feed that worm bin, it would be specifically plants or food that's great for vegging plants. And then the red tub will be for blooming for the flowers. So whatever I feed that worm bin would be specifically more like maybe um, fruits or something like that. Something like plants like uh, food that would be really great for plants that are in their flower mode. So I'm really looking forward to that neat little experience. I mean, I'm not sure if it's gonna do much other than just satisfy my creativity and fun with it. But I was thinking it might be an interesting idea if if specifically you want your veg plants to get certain nutrients out um, out of the worm poop on there. Like maybe if you were going to put some of your fish poop in some of those compost piles, you'd probably want to put it in the veg one. But like one compost pile, like one for veg and one for bloom. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, so um, for the soil, anything soil, I generally do the same um, same kind of thing for both. I don't really have a different um, formulation. I just feel like that's uh, kind of just more work. Um, and, <laughs> and with the dual root zone stuff that I'm doing, we kind of just have set them uh-huh. one time and away we go. So we don't have a time where we're going to transplant them or anything like that. So it just doesn't work with the methodology that I prefer to work with. Now, if someone's really doing soil, um, yeah, maybe we'll have a different mix if we're up-potting them uh, for that that second pot. But even then, I generally still like to stick to the same thing because then once we're done with our run, we can cut the plants off, put some nematodes in it, treat it with some good IMO Go compost it and then reuse it, right? So once we buy three or four turnovers of worth of soil, we don't really need to buy anymore because we can just, you know, reuse what we have and then have it rest for a period of time um, while we're not using it. So this way, we can constantly, you know, just reuse that soil. Rather, than it, one, it's a huge expense, and two, like it's much more ecologically responsible. And if you use good uh, soil building methods, you don't need to be rebuying the stuff over and over. You get it one time and you're done. There's no reason why you shouldn't be doing it this way.
2: How often do you
1: apply the IMO? Uh, I generally do liquid IMO once a month if I'm going to do it in general for applications, but for aquaponic systems, we'll dose it uh, and when we're doing mineralization. So when we have the offline mineralization tanks with all the fish waste, um, we'll add liquid IMO to that uh, along with a little bit of labs to brew that all up. So that it actually has a much higher chance of mineralizing everything in there because, excuse me, the, the different microbes in fish waste are wonderful. We've done a lot of documentation on that with aquaculture, but if I take the stuff from liquid IMO, a good IMO collection, it will increase the mineralization of that tremendously because it's all types of different microbes that are now gonna, in addition to what was already there, mineralize the fish waste in whole new ways and make things bioavailable that previously weren't being made bioavailable. Um, so we take that, we mineralize that all up, then we shut the, the, that off for about an hour, all the solids settle to the bottom, then we take all the clear water off the top, which is the, the heavy mineralized water goes directly back into the system um, That is just came from the system. Then we add more fish waste to it from the filters and we top it off with fil- uh, uh, the rest of the way with aquaponic water. We brew that back up again uh, and then mineralize that. And then we do different lengths of time depending on veg or flour. And veg will do maybe a three day brew uh, and flour will do a, a seven or 14 day brew um, because the longer you brew it, the less nitrogen there is. You get a denitrification um, uh, in the system. So um, it, it just depends on what it is that I want as a result out of that brewing. Well, oh,
2: interesting. That was a lot. <laughs> um, one last question. Um, if you had uh, aquaponics set up in that dual root zone, like how you've shown pictures before, like that last one you just showed where you got your soil on top and then your, your water for the fish underneath. Would that raise the humidity level in the room? Would it cause bud rot or, or mold or PM?
1: Um, the aquaponics system certainly will raise the humidity of the room, but um, oh. it's, it's good because it's easy to hold the right VPD. And then you can just set up a couple of dehumidifiers and then run the water if depending on what they're made of, just run that water back into the system. So you're just capturing that moisture and putting it right back in um, rather than having to you know run water all the time. you're able to recapture quite a bit of it. And there's many different facilities doing aquaponics and hydroponics now that utilize that.
2: I heard you mention that uh, on a last show when you were talking about um, specifically which dehumidifiers are safe to use where you're reusing the water.
1: Yeah, I don't remember which companies that have to go.
2: Oh, um, not the company, but it was made out of some sort of metal.
1: Oh, yeah, you want to avoid. Yeah, you want to ideally try to avoid the zinc ones because the zinc ones build up in the systems over time. Um, so that's the biggest one you want to avoid, if possible, uh, as far as the condensers. You know, a, a lot of them are aluminum, which is the best one.
2: OK, so the aluminum ones are good.
1: Because mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't corrode the same way, you know.
2: And I'm using a... Um, uh, Uh, like I have a water reservoir, like a 60 gallon water reservoir. And Mm -hmm. I was using a fish tank water heater to keep my water warm, especially Mm -hmm. like during the winter time, the water gets really cold. Uh, But lately it broke. It's like something I found off Amazon. It had really great reviews. So that's why I bought it. But now it's like way too freaking hot and it won't stay low. So I was wondering, I wonder if you went to go get it, what's the best like what you would use to heat your water reservoir, like some, uh, the thing I got was a fish tank water heater. So I imagine if you already have a fish tank, you would want something to keep the water warm. So what's the best thing to
0: use?
1: I had to let my dog and I'm still waiting on the last one. I, to- <laughs> um, the, uh, I would look at the titanium aquarium ones are the best ones because if they dry up, it's not a big deal.
2: Oh, is that an issue? Well, is it an issue if they dry up if they're not turned on?
1: If they're not turned on, it's fine. Oh. The problem is is that if it's on and the water level gets below that or you're taking water out and forget that it's plugged in and it's glass, they explode. Um, (laughs) Or they'll melt whatever they just rubbed up against. Whereas with the titanium ones, a lot of them have a sensor in them that can detect if it's out of the water, you know, shut them off. And they're like 20% more than the glass ones. And they just, they're way, way better. Um, and they're, they're usually used for reef tanks and stuff like that, but it's just a much better uh, uh, for, for aquaponics and any, anything in hydroponics as well. Um, and they're, it'll just last forever as well. They're, they're just a much better product.
2: Nice. Yeah, because I got to get a, a new um, temperature thing to keep my water warm.
0: Yep.
2: It's, it's getting cold, especially tonight. <laughs> um, that was all of my questions that I had for you. I really appreciate you answering them all. I don't know if you knew that you were going to get um, q and a tonight on the show. <laughs> That's
1: fine. That's fun. Thank uh, you. I also wanted to give a shout out to Jordan River. Um, we had a fun time on, uh, or I did a re- recording on his show on Wednesday. Um, that was a ton of fun. Um, and, uh, What's uh, his show? He, he's the host of the Growcast.
2: Oh, yes, yes, yes. That was uh, another thing that I wanted to listen to while I was at work. I yeah, really like enjoy listening to these podcasts while I'm working because I got to do something with my brain.
1: Jordan's going to be coming out to visit here in January, and we're going to be scheming up some cool stuff for you guys. Uh, So uh, definitely check that out. Uh, We're going to have some cool content together. We're going to go and tour some grows together and do some filming and some other cool stuff that uh, I don't think he's announced yet, so I'm going to not spoil it. So, Um, But uh, we're going to have some fun and and do some cool stuff for a couple of days. Um, So uh, definitely uh, looking forward to that as well.
2: Nice. That sounds like fun.
1: Oh yeah, and uh, just looking forward to it. Also, wanted to to plug uh, Josh's conference again. Uh, the regenerative.
2: I'm looking forward to
1: that. Yeah, just go to regenerativeseeds.com/conference-2022 if you're listening to this to an audio format. Um, and uh, yeah, Humboldt on January 28th and through the 30th michigan february 25th through 27th Maine is going to be march 26th through 28th and then oklahoma on april 29th through may 1st
2: yep that's the one i'm going to go to then i hope to see you guys there if you can make it
0: oh yeah anyone who's
2: listening you got to get your tickets to that conference because it's really an amazing magical place if you want to get more into growing regenerative cannabis or anything in general that's like Like when I grow outside, I like it to be fed with the same nutrients I'd be feeding my food. And I love growing my own food. It's so delicious. So I want to do more of that. Growing my own food, growing medicine, sharing it all with the community would be really nice. So it would be nice to do that affordably. Like what you were saying, even going on Craigslist and finding some things that people are giving away for free. Maybe someone's given away a dope-ass greenhouse.
1: <laughs> sometimes, sometimes they're like, we sold the property, you have 48 hours to come get this. Uh, <laughs> or it's getting dragged off by like a trash company.
0: Yeah.
2: It's close, <laughs> or it's already mall. taken down and you have to pick up all the pieces. And I'm like, well, I don't even know how to put one together. So is there a YouTube video for that? <laughs>
1: I remember we had a really wild night uh, one year uh, up at the Gilcrest spot, and they had like one hundred and thirty mile an hour winds recorded in Boulder, the peak right above there, and uh, we had one of the f- smaller frames that we had, um, like a decent size, um, you know, hoop house, got picked up by the wind. It didn't rip the plastic. It lifted the whole thing, yep. and then slammed it against the side of the the tractor barn, and then just crumpled it into like this tiny little fucking ball. And it was like just insane that the wind blew so hard that it didn't rip yeah. the plastic; it right. ripped the whole building off the ground. Like that was just insane to me.
2: Even where I'm at, we get really strong winds, and that's one thing that really worries me because I have a hoop house. Usually, we just take we just take the plastic covering off during too crazy we did manage to tie it down but i mean you really got to hold it down with like really heavy boulders or rocks or something like that i mean you know, the wind is in, extremely strong
1: and in colorado you have to use the inflated plastic um it works much better uh, the, the the dual layer and you have the air pump oh, I heard of that. Uh, that inflates it it works much better in colorado and they have ones that are honeycomb and it's like corrugated kind of like cardboard and it inflates all of the different pot pockets and it it really works so well because they act like little greenhouses. It makes this little heat bubble that that kind of works much better in the in the winter time. And then the summertime you just kind of roll the sides up a little bit.
2: Yeah. To get some nice airflow underneath.
1: Yep. Just make sure you have some thrip screening underneath. So you're you know still keeping the bugs out.
2: Yeah, that was one issue. But then the other nice thing about being outdoors was just all the other natural predator bugs that kind of came into that house too. It was was a very cool place to hang out at all year long. I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to doing it again. I just want to think a little bit more strategically this time because my hoop house is only so big and I can't grow huge ass monsters in there. I want to keep it a little bit more Discrete next year. So instead of planting my seeds in January, I think I'm going to plant them in March just to keep them a little bit more under control. And I might be looking, I don't want to say that I'm not looking for sativa strains because I really do like those. I would like just maybe six plants out there and one, one with like all of them are completely different, different terpene profiles, different cannabinoid profiles. Hmm. I got a lot of thinking to you. Are you guys growing outside? Do you grow outside during the summertime?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. With the, in Oklahoma, you have to grow very specific cuts or you're just going to, they're going to fry because we get really, you know, we'll get 105 degree, 107 degree days and we'll get a week. of 90, you know, 95. Uh, And then they can get really soupy, like crazy humid. And the plants will grow really fast in that, but if they're not cultivars, they're going to thrive in it, they'll get, you know, not the best buds or the, they'll mature strangely or you'll have just more more pest issues. So, um, you know, African cuts do really well. Equatorial stuff does really well oh. here because it's adapted to those more soupier climates uh, in the summertime when the weather gets shitty, they, they do, kind of do a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So,
2: Yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense.
1: The other thing too is, you know, we'll start the crews up working on the fields and stuff at you know, right at, uh, at dawn, um, at, or we'll start everybody at like two or three o'clock in the morning. We'll work in the nursery. We'll work on the indoor stuff, anything that's going to be, you know, with the lights on in, in the middle of the night. Um, and then, um, uh, as soon as that sun comes up, they're working in the field as soon as they can see enough to not step on plants and, um, and then work until it's too hot to work. And then, you know, either finish up indoors or, Hey, just that's the end of the day. And that's how you have to do it. Same way if you're in like, any of the equatorial areas because it's just too hot you know you got to finish yeah. the day by 10 30 11 o'clock because you can't do shit after that it's just too fucking hot people just pass out left and right there's no reason to work in that
2: see that's where that swimming pond comes in handy
0: <laughs>
2: you get up early you work you water your plants you take care of your garden when it gets too hot to work you make yourself a sandwich you go swimming with your fishies
1: even <laughs> if it's, someone says what about without the soup you're just hot yeah even if you're in like the high desert, um, you know, again, you're going to want strains that are more adapted to the heat. A lot of the more narrow leaf strains are going to do be much better in that type of environment because they're not going to, you know, have that extra surface area to kind of fry. Um, you know, that's it doesn't matter if it's indica or sativa or what the chemo bar profile is, just sticking to those more narrow leafed ones are going to be much better. Whereas in a, you know, a colder climate, the, the wider leaves are going to do a little better because they're going to absorb, more heat and more energy um, from that different angle of the sun at your higher uh, latitudes.
2: Fumador, do you grow outside?
3: Not cannabis, not right now. Hopefully, oh. <laughs> maybe this next year. Uh, I, I had some plans this year, but they didn't pan out. But uh, hopefully, maybe. Well, I mean, I grew one plant, but that didn't really count. But I guess it counts. Yeah, he's actually still technically alive. It's a, it was a dude. He was a volunteer, oh. and he's actually I don't I don't know how, but he's still alive. Actually, just barely, but uh, still has leaf vigor and everything else. It's kind of crazy. Uh, he's not photosynthesizing. Blo- leaves are all black. It's actually really pretty. Um, but yeah I'd, I'd love to grow outside I was just telling a friend yesterday that uh, honestly the best weed is frankly uh, grown outside at least grown by really good growers outside like if you grow it really really well I think all, th- all things considered the sun is the most magical uh, light source it just has everything the plants could possibly want and then some and uh, yeah, there's just no beating it uh, but you know a lot of times you'll get pests and dust and whatever else a lot of times you know uh, bad growers too you know people don't really admit that but there's a lot of bad growers that grow outdoors you know Um, or you know just mediocre let's call it that way let's let's not say bad but mediocre when you nail it oh my god that outdoor is like Mm -hmm. nothing else it smells from a mile away and yeah straight up
2: that's what i really like uh, about the hoop house and the greenhouse is it does cover it up a bit especially when there's all those fires this summer and Mm. the summer before like having the plants in the hoop house versus just outdoor in the open air, mine weren't really dirty, you know? And like I said, I got some bad pests. I did treat them as much foliar as as I could gently and um, added some beneficial bugs. I also was thinking about like planting certain plants that would attract the beneficial bugs that you want in your garden. But at the same time, a lot of them just kind of came on their own. You know, those bugs know... And that's another thing about terpenes, they're putting out that smell. One of these um, uh, terpenes was specifically for finding bees, like the mm-hmm. bees smell it and they go straight towards it.
0: Oh,
2: and uh, I thought that was really awesome.
3: You know, attracting pollinators, yeah, just in general. It's a cool idea.
2: Mm-hmm. Or any other food that you're growing outside is so freaking delicious. I, I made a lot of tomatoes this year and I gave a lot of them away. My tomato game's mm. pretty strong. That's awesome. Made some really amazing tomatoes. Now I gotta buy them at the store, and it's like they're not that good. <laughs> well, yeah, I, know that I like they're... my own. <laughs>
3: it's it's the same thing with weed, you know. And the tomato scene is probably a lot more mature than well, it is definitely more mature than the the weed scene. So you can imagine the the tomatoes you get at the grocery store are better than the weed you get at the, you know, mm-hmm. the weed store, basically. Yeah.
2: It's loved and it's cared for. It's it's got more freedom, like that cow in the field, you know, and. And,
3: um... I mean, actually, neither one, you know, like the tomatoes at the store are kind of terrible. You know, I guess that's the point. Like we're always talking about like uh, the tomatoes at the store is very, very rare to find good ones. And you usually have to pay kind of mm-hmm. a fortune and like at the special store. Yeah, and Even exactly. then, you know, the whole foods and stuff, <laughs> like even then the food, tomatoes aren't that good. Uh, so I always remember that when I go like, well, I don't usually that go, go that often to a dispensary. But the reality is most of that weed is basically about as good as any of the tomatoes you'll find in a grocery store. You know what I mean? If you want something better, you got to grow it yourself or you got to find it from someone who's doing like, you know, an artisanal grow in California or something. We were talking about those outdoor growers, that kind of thing. You know, Southern Oregon, that's the good weed, not the stuff usually at the dispensary. I hate to say it, but, you know, it is it is what it is.
2: Yeah, it's very rare to find a good dispensary Mm -hmm. that actually grows some cannabis that you enjoy, that you're like, hey, if I was to run out of cannabis, I'd go to Verde Naturals. And I, I have a friend that used to work there, and and says really nice things about that place and the way that they were growing. But um, if I couldn't grow it myself, and I didn't know anybody personally that was also growing organically that I could buy it off of, and I had to go to a dispensary, that's just the place that I would personally choose.
1: Hmm. Right on.
2: Steve, why were you laughing? Do you know about Pretty Naturals?
1: I was just reading a comment and chat. Oh. But- <laughs> Uh, someone said I put shitty males at McDonald's drive thrus so bad indoor grows get contaminated with bad genetics. <laughs> I just thought that was funny.
2: Oh, that's terrible.
1: I'm not telling anybody to do that, but it is funny.
3: <laughs> I mean, allegedly, a funny well, place to get, get rid going, of uh, old seeds you don't need is at the police station yard. So,
0: just
2: sprinkle them on the lawn and then. Walk away. I I would never
3: (laughs) recommend anyone do that, but it's it
1: would
2: be a hilarious thing if
1: it happened. Yeah.
2: Don't be caught on camera.
0: Mm. I mean, if you could just. Wasn't
1: it? Wasn't it in Portland where someone was going around and putting pot plants and giant potholes to make the city do something about it?
2: Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. There was,
3: one one in, like, uh, there was one in, like, uh, Russia or somewhere where some guy was doing full-on miniature scenes with basically, like, uh, toy construction workers set in, like, this kind of uh, crazy scenario, like, you know, the climbers. I don't even remember actually how they did it, but it was basically that, like, the construction workers are falling down and climbing. It was like a whole miniature scene to kind of exaggerate how bad the potholes were. It was funny. <laughs> what, was
0: against,
2: anyway. what is that on YouTube Dinos- or something? Like, toy
3: dinosaurs and stuff, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah right. It oh. <laughs> had to get that tall, like nobody ran it over. That's oh wait, he, he grew it. it in. Okay, I get it. He grew it himself, love. and then came out one day and That's filled up those spots. That's hilarious. <laughs> I gotta get going, you guys. It's right super on. late, and I gotta get up super early tomorrow morning. Right on. Thank, Thank you I so much you. for having me on the right. show. I really appreciate it just to finally see you in person and be able to chat yeah. it was really awesome Meeting face yeah. to face yeah.
1: thanks for coming on watch tell everybody I, how to find
2: you yeah and um and i'll see you at that regenerative conference
1: what, what why don't you tell everybody how to find you
2: oh me yeah um i'm greens goddess greens with a z goddess i'm on instagram and um, I also run the website, lunagardens.co. But that website is if you want to uh, help educate someone, like maybe if you know a friend or a family member who might be able to use cannabis for their specific illness or disease, you'd be able to find uh, some research that I have done. And, and there's tons of papers on there that talk about um, what's good to use and, and how you should use it and whatnot. Might be interested interesting for people like, are a little bit nervous, like say someone who has Alzheimer's, you know what I mean? And uh, my Instagram is, it's mainly about that and also just growing organically. I made some beds and um, found some bugs. I do some videos, anything that I learned how to do. I also like just sharing it with everybody else. So if I learn how to do something, I like turning it around and sharing that with everybody else as well. And that was my greenhouse. I had a lot of fun in it this past year. Whoa, wait, 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 wait. Um, if you go back down, there's pictures. That's uh, the, the forest that I was telling you about. And if you pull it down up, it, there are um, pictures of the oil on top of some mushrooms. Yes, that one, top right corner. And there's one more on top of that. This was a video I did for my uh, res field during the summer. I was following a whole bunch of different things at the time and, um, and even though that's a big 60 gallon reservoir, it's really not too many ingredients in there for how huge it is. I used to, uh, when I would water it, I would go ahead and foliar spray the leaves with the feed also, just to kind of cool them off a bit. But um, on one of those other pictures, this was some um, some of the mushrooms that I had seen on my path when I was walking. Yeah, there's a good one.
1: That's so. That's Amanita panthera. That one's very poisonous.
2: oh <laughs> we definitely didn't eat them, but uh, they were super cool to take pictures with.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's not one that you want to eat.
2: Okay, good. The poisonous ones would they also not? That, that's a cool one. I thought that was a cool picture right there.
1: It's a guild one. I, that's another panthera.
2: So those were everywhere when we were on our hiking path.
1: Yeah. I was just looking to see for other mushrooms, too.
2: Those might be the only ones. <laughs> okay. I really want to get into um, mushrooms just right now at this moment, I don't necessarily have the time to get into it. That was some food that i grown this year. Pikes, just, you know, um, it's a bunch of random stuff. That was a letter show how tall those plants got. Labs, when I made labs, I actually made labs and it didn't come out so well. And I got a few good pointers from some friends on uh, Instagram and so I did it again. And it was super successful the second time. So
1: did you, uh, what, do what? what did you do differently?
2: Um, the combination of milk to rice water. Also, I thought I had to soak my rice water for 24 hours. And I didn't, you just got to put your rice in, stir it around for probably like about three or five minutes and then rinse the water out. And what I had done was left the rice in there then um, I have maybe waited too long because that may have been during like a warm time. And so some people were telling me where to store it differently and that I don't have to leave the rice in for so long. So I've done a lot of um, k and stuff, but I've honestly never taken Chris Trump's class. Just I've watched his videos on YouTube. That's how I learned how to do most of the stuff that I did. So I'm really looking forward to um, seeing him over at the conference i know he's going to be there but i really want to sign up for one of his classes as soon as like
1: well thanks a lot for joining us tonight and uh, it was a lot of fun having you on
2: thanks everybody i really appreciate it thank you so much for having me on steve bye you guys take care take care
1: and um that was uh, awesome you can find her again at greens goddess uh, at greens goddess on instagram uh, and then also at um, oh hold on a second Luna, LunaGarden.co, hold on a sec uh, LunaGardens.co yes so definitely check that out. Um, it's Fumador. You can find it at Fumador on the flavors on YouTube or on Fumadoro.com. He has a wonderful selection of uh, uh, genetic preservation kits over there. Uh, some of them are, are quite awesome and uh yeah um so definitely a a, a great episode and uh, we'll have be back again next week um i believe next week is our year in review where we're going to do a little memorial, people in memorial because we lost quite a few good people this year so we'll talk about that for a little bit and then we're going to talk about our christmas guide uh, we always like to do a guide for kind of like a couple of different categories and the top 10 products for a couple of different categories uh, from the last year, or just some interesting things that we've found that we think you guys need to know about uh, that you might want to get as a stocking stuffer or as a last minute thing uh, for somebody that uh, uh, for the holidays, you know, regardless of uh, if you celebrate festivus or, uh, or anything else, um, you know, you have something to uh, uh, to think about to get for your uh, important person or whomever. Um, yeah. That was fun. Um, also check out, um, again, um, big shout out to the dude Gross crew and the dude Gross show. Uh, they had an awesome barbecue after the cowboy cup. Um, big thank you to, uh, the dude and Scotty for always putting on a, a really good time for people that come out and support them. Um, and, uh, it was a, a wonderful time seeing everybody at the cowboy cup and, uh, you know, giving out some seeds and, um, you know, helping people out and, uh, uh, doing, smoking a lot of great cannabis with a lot of people from, from Oklahoma. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, shout out to JR token, uh, hanging out with Jay, Jay Maestro. Jay Maestro is going to be coming on the show as a guest. Um, he's, uh, finally able to, to lead the state of Florida. So that was fun, um, to, to, finally meet him, uh, after all these years. Uh, and then, uh, what else? Um, uh, Oakey grower, and all the other awesome people. I'm trying to think who else I met out there. Um, I apologize if I forget uh, and we were hanging out, but uh, it was a, a lot of cannabis that day and uh, a long weekend uh, uh, just in general. So uh, thanks everybody. And then also check out uh, Jordan River. I'm sure that, he, that episode's eventually gonna make it out to YouTube. I think it's part of his membership thing for a while and then eventually it'll be released later. So. Um, definitely check it out he was it was a really cool interview we talked about a lot of cool stuff uh, a lot of interesting topics that uh, uh i guess we don't normally talk about so it was a really cool episode and um, check out also the episode we just did a, a, earlier tonight uh with joda herb uh, we did a great episode over on, on kelp and seaweed extracts and and seaweed and, and uh, kelp meals uh, so that was a really good episode um, dropping a ton of science and uh, and uh, nick over there dropping a ton of science that was a really, really great episode. So um, uh, yeah. All right. Uh, I think that's it for now. Um, We also have a a ton of cool guests. I have uh, all the episodes. We're getting more and more people uh, queued up for the show. I've been putting those in queue now that we have a little better idea of how to plug into YouTube now uh, on the back end. So anytime, as soon as I get somebody booked for a week, uh, I've been putting those up. So we also recently got Mila, the Hash Queen, Um, she's going to be coming on the show as a guest here in uh in april or or, or, sorry january or february Um, so that's going to be a super cool guest uh that uh is one of the only people that i spent some time with Frenchie in nepal and stuff like that so that'll be really cool um and uh, we just have a ton of great guests lined up for a while so uh check it out and um yeah, I don't know. We have a bunch of great episodes coming up. We have uh, every Wednesday, a new release of a different edited episode from the uh, conference. Um, I've been working on getting, I still have to do day two of putting the chapters in uh, to make it a little easier for you guys to flip through the the 12 hour version, but um, uh, we will, uh, I will get that finished on day two. But, uh, um, we'll have all those and then an audio format as well. Uh, we'll have those all out in, in the one hour versions as well. So um check all that stuff out i also have some new content once i finally have time I suddenly kind of have a some new projects that are taking a lot of time lately um, haven't had as much time to make all the content i've been wanting to make lately but i have a bunch of stuff on deck for you guys so that's going to be coming down the pipeline and uh yeah have a good holiday uh, i hope everybody's staying safe and um, we'll catch you guys again uh, next week i'm um, sure check out fumador show on saturday uh, it's always a good time and, um, we'll see you guys next time. Uh, you can find the show on, uh,
0: SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, uh, all the things and, uh, on live on.